0: Hey, everyone, it is Rusty, and I just wanted to come in before we actually get into the episode itself and just let everyone know that my main co-host, Ryan, is not going to be on this episode, and he'll actually not be on the podcast for a little while. He's got some RL, real-life stuff to attend to and focus on right now, so stepping back from the podcast, but fear not, he will definitely be back in the future to talk about runescape and elden ring lore and monster hunter and pokemon and all the stuff he's known for so fear not he will be back but in the meantime i'm gonna have a number of guests rotating through the show here over the next several months which i think will be pretty interesting i have a number of topics that i've been wanting to discuss for a while and i have some key people in mind for each of these episodes so i've already reached out to a number of folks kind of starting to line up schedules and stuff like that so i think it'll make for an interesting otaku brothers podcast queue here in the near term so stay tuned for that and like i said ryan will be back here in the future so with all that being said enjoy the episode i had a really fun time recording this one with my buddy sean so enjoy everyone
1: Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 146 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty and today, not joined by my guy Ryan, I'm actually joined by by Corporate America's Dropout, my friend, Sean. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right, man. Uh, I know we've been
1: talking about getting me on here for a little while. Uh, Glad to finally see it happen. So, yeah, like Rusty said, um, Corporate Dropout. I used to work with him, uh, you know, wherever Rusty works, whatever we're telling the good people these days. Um, Took a step away from that to uh, work at a brewery a while back and uh, haven't looked back, so...
0: You love to see it. And in I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but the place you work, the brewery that you work at is about five to eight, maybe 10 minutes down the road from my house. So um works out in my favor because I get to drink delicious, tasty beer. Um, but the frequency that I maybe go there is, is questionable. You, uh, know?
1: You, you know, I just take that out on you by making you try my experimental beer blends and things like that, uh, you know. You get to be my guinea pig.
0: That's right. You're a mad scientist over there, brewing all kinds of fun concoctions. But welcome back to the show, everyone. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We talk about video games. We talk about movies. We talk about TV shows. Whatever we dang darn please here on Utaki Brothers. And normally I have my my you know regular co-host Ryan the rambling guy himself. But today I have my buddy Sean on and I'm super pumped to chat with him because I think he brings a unique perspective to to video games based on his history playing them. So, you know, we'll, you know, do the whole introduction thing, get to know him a little bit, hear about his favorite games and his history playing games, as we always do when we have a guest on this podcast. We'll talk about the games that we play, as we always do on this podcast. And then the back half of the show I don't know if you've been living under a rock or not, but earlier this week we had a Nintendo Direct, we had a PlayStation State of Play, we had all kinds of great video game news to feast on, and we have a lot of great games down the pipeline in the near and longer term to chat about. So it should be really good times, and then with all of this stuff going on behind the scenes, I'm going to be having some fun guests on here in the next couple of months, and Sean is one of them that I think would be described as semi-regular, maybe, is that fair?
1: Uh, yeah, that we've, we've got some things in the pipeline. Uh, yeah. That could be a descriptor you might use. Yeah, yeah a
0: semi-regular co-host, guest, whatever you want to call it. And we have some fun episodes to kind of tease at the the close of the show. So you got to stay for the whole time. You know, I don't know. if Sean brought a fun fact today in Ryan's place, but we'll find out at the end. And, uh, you know, we got to fade out. With yeah, Brian's
1: shoes are pretty big. I don't know if I can fill him, but I'll do my best. He's a
0: smart man. He has, He knows more random stuff than anyone I probably know. But um, I
1: wouldn't go that far, but thank you.
0: Yeah, well, interesting thing. We got to kick off the show introducing Sean, my buddy. You kind of briefly talked about how uh, we were co-workers there for a while. You went, now you're working your dream job. And something that I think is worth mentioning, the first time I probably ever brought you or brought you up on the show was episode 41. Is that Atlanta? Yes, titled Making Memories in Atlanta. That's kind of where our friendship kind of solidified, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely go back and, and re-listen to that one if uh, you missed it, because Rusty found himself in quite a few pickles, uh, as did I, during that trip. Um, and it's good that uh, that was solidified in, in podcast history. Um, I don't know what we would do if we were able to forget those infamous days
0: yeah those were pretty wild for sure um yeah i was in a few pickles is a probably interesting way to describe the situations i found myself in i didn't go looking okay that craziness kind of found me
1: yeah as a uh i guess kind of fun thing um you know when that was when i was still back with uh the corporation and um i'm glad that some of the things that happened to rusty happened to rusty because uh he's the type of guy that you believe that those things uh, were not intentional. If uh, some of those things happened to me, no one would have bought that. I wasn't looking for it.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Probably true. So yeah, if you want to learn about, we're not going to gonna go into all the intricate, crazy details of that uh, particular situation, but go back, listen to episode 41. Uh, it's kind of where I first brought up Sean and talk through all of the wild things that happened in Atlanta, but Ryan or Ryan, see, I'm gonna probably do this quite a bit. <laughs>
1: Is it, uh, is it my deep, sultry voice? It reminds is reminds you of, uh, good times.
0: Well, it's the beard too. You know, the listeners can't see you with that crazy ass beard that you got going on the long locks, well, but.
1: Right, but, but I've got a nice ginger beard. Whereas, you know, Ryan's is very dark. It's very true. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it's very true. But my first question for you is, you know, I came from this other place I was at for two years working wise, came to your place of employment. What was the word on the street when Ari Lewis, 2011, was strolling through the halls? What was your first impression of me?
1: Um, definitely a, a little bit of a goody two-shoes vibe. Um, okay. And I think that was shared amongst the office probably until the Atlanta trip uh, where we realized that uh, Mr. Lewis had a little bit more edge than we might have originally attributed to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Um I think that just kind of stemmed from very professional demeanor. Um, you could tell that, you know, maybe in your prior employment opportunity, you'd been a little uh, traumatized or abused in mm. some ways. Yep. Um, very much uh, looking to do right and uh, not looking to step on any toes to do it.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably pretty fair. And you know, it didn't really help my cause where when I was employed with this employer, they took my name from my LinkedIn profile And I have a CPA, so my name in, like, on, I think we were still using Skype at that point, and in the Workday HR system was Rusty Lewis, comma, CPA. Everyone's probably thinking, like, this fucking guy.
1: Yeah, well, and if I remember correctly, like, the way that um, the systems had input it was also wrong that first, like, week or two. So, it was literally leading with CPA. Um, So, not only uh, were you a pretentious douche with a title, but, like, you were leading off with it yeah thanks human resources appreciate you
0: definitely not my intention whatsoever anyone that knows me would like i'm not very necessarily proud i don't wear that on my sleeve i don't walk around with my certification or any nonsense like that but um i also think i remember distinctly when we kind of were looking back on that atlanta trip that that first night after you know we had like a day conference learning about databases and all kinds of other random stupid bullshit audit stuff um I was walking down the street and I wore like a backwards hat and I think you probably just continued to think like, gosh, what a douchebag.
1: A a tool would have been more specific. Yeah. uh, Anytime you see, you know, backwards baseball caps, you assume tool. Mm -hmm. Um, I say knowing that if you uh, come find me at my place of employment, I will very likely be wearing a baseball cap backwards uh, cargo shorts, uh, the official – outfit of the dave matthews band uh other than i'm not allowed to wear sandals at work so uh you yeah. can't have the full ensemble
0: but you can pull it off because you have the beard you have like the hair like you look like that kind of hippie guy that's going to be wearing the backwards cap
1: that's true yeah there's a little bit of a difference like uh whether the backwards hat um uh, gives you like frat boy energy versus like hippie energy so that that's an important distinction
0: and i kind of just like it's like this nerdy dweeb trying to be cool
1: yeah we're all trying to be something, man.
0: Yeah, that's very true. But speaking of trying to be something, uh, fuck me, man. <laughs> I'm going to do this every every time I try and transition to a question, call you the name that uh, your parents did not give you. Uh, Sean, this is a video game podcast. And I think it's always interesting and fun to get to know the guest that comes on the podcast, learn about their video game history, when they started playing games, all that kind of fun stuff. And I think your journey playing games is maybe different than some of the folks that we've had on the podcast previously, where you probably had some lulls and some gaps in your life where you kind of didn't play as many video games and you kind of picked them back up again, kind of late into your adult life. So I'm curious, take us back to a wee little lad, Sean, running around with his real red hair. When did you start playing games? What's your earliest memory playing games?
1: Yeah, so I remember playing games as early as like, I want to say three, four, five years old. Um, We had a Sega Genesis Uh, Of course, you know if you're if you've got a Genesis, you're playing Sonic. So you know, Mm -hmm. I remember sitting uh, in my sister's bedroom because it was uh, hooked up in the TV in her room, uh, just playing through the first level of Sonic over and over and over again. Because you know, when you're three or four or whatever, you're not actually advancing in any levels. No. So you know, just running around, jumping in holes, uh, getting hit by various uh, antagonists. So. Um, that's kind of where it started for me. Uh, we had the Genesis for a while. Um, I remember playing like Streets of Rage with my mom. <laughs> um, some of the classics, a lot of the ones that, uh, you and Ryan talked about in the, uh, Genesis Destiny Island Challenge episode, which I want to say was 115.
0: Damn, if you know that, that's better uh, than me, man. You're, 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 earning your, that, yeah. you're, earning your, keep here. You're earning yeah, your place.
1: I, I've, I've been doing some digging, uh, for an episode that like Rusty said, we'll, uh, allude to a little later in the episode, but, um, yeah. So started out with that. Um, I came from, you know, not the most well off family. So a lot of um, our gaming was influenced by, you know, prior generation stuff. You know, what could you get on sale? Uh, you know, growing up, like I also had a, a GameCube a little bit later, um, but never had any of the Nintendo first party stuff because, you know, Nintendo never puts anything on sale ever.
0: That's true. Um, even to this day. Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, so yeah, started with the Genesis, uh, eventually moved to the uh, Dreamcast. We were a Sega household. Mm. Uh yeah that stinks um eventually as i got older and started having you know my own money from like chores and stuff like that uh bought a gamecube uh the original xbox uh kind of missed out on the 360 generation i never got around to getting any of the consoles from there but um when i was in grad school picked up an xbox one so kind of been getting back into things but okay um growing up as a kid though mostly into stuff like um you know yazan and sega stuff crazy taxi um all the sports games are uh, really big into Grand Theft Auto, like everybody was back then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the journey. And then uh, last few years, I've just been kind of settling in with um, what kind of gamer I might be, which I would definitely say I'm, I'm more of a casual gamer than
0: most of your guests. We'll make you a hardcore one after you guest on this podcast a couple times.
1: Is, is that uh, the idea here? You need someone to play online with. So we're building me up.
0: That's right. I'm looking for a RuneScape partner. I'm looking for um, if you want to go deep into WoW, I'm here for it. I really am.
1: Yeah, sounds like a good plan. I know uh, no one's ever gotten addicted to either of those games, so uh, definitely good ones to start with.
0: Never, and the fun part of Ryan not being in the show is that I can throw him under the bus in the same way that I do with my wife, uh, if not every episode, every other.
1: So I'm already looking forward to being thrown under the bus in about six months after I've been chewed up and spit out by the Ari uh, e. Lewis machine.
0: Yep, well, that'll happen uh, soon enough for sure. Uh, we run a tight schedule here. We run a <laughs> tight schedule here. Uh, so take me back. I'm still curious. So Dreamcast, Sega, household. Do you have any fond memories of like waking up Christmas morning? You know, smelling the uh, the, the the breakfast being cooked downstairs. You run down. What did Santa Claus leave under the the tree for you? Do you have any special fond memories of getting something cool? Um, video game wise,
1: like super direct. I I don't have like a ton of like super clear childhood memories. That's just not like how my memory works. But mm. um, I know the both. The Genesis and the Dreamcast were uh, Christmas gifts. I was a little too young to have any memory of when we got the Genesis. Okay, I think that was the Christmas when I was like two or three years old. So I don't have any of that. Um, but I remember like definitely being really excited when we got the Dreamcast because, um, you know, like I said, we weren't a real wealthy family, so like I think my mom had to buy one used, like got a deal from uh, my sister's boyfriend because she worked at you know Babbage's. If that tells you, how hell long ago yeah, was. buddy, um, yeah. So. Um, I'm guessing if we got it used, like, it couldn't have been any earlier than, like, 98, 99, maybe even, like, 2000. So, I, I think we got the Dreamcast pretty close to when everyone knew the Dreamcast was probably not going to make it.
0: Okay. So. Good stuff. And were you ever a handheld guy? Did you ever get any of the handheld systems? Um So, I had a Game Boy Color that I think I got for Easter one year. Um,
1: the problem is, like, especially with... um Things like the Game Boy, like my mom had a bad habit of getting them for me. And then she'd find like a solitaire game she really liked. That was pretty much the end of me playing my game. Boy. Okay. Um. Yeah, we had a lot of that. Like she'd get a computer that was supposed to be like mostly for me to do school stuff. And then, you know, have like the little, um, uh, not like Tetris, but like the the fake Tetris spinoffs where like you click on the little jewel and like oh, yeah. a bunch of colors pop and
0: that mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So, um.
1: Yeah, I got a PSP, I want to say in like. 2005 um but I never ended up getting that many games for just because you know I was a broke kid so
0: yeah okay fair enough w- what I'm really curious to learn more about too is like I was saying kind of at the top that I feel like as I got older I was the odd one out with all my friends where I was more into video games as I got older buying them more exploring libraries of consoles that I otherwise probably wouldn't have learning about stuff on YouTube and my friends kind of like their interest wavered and they got into other things, whether it was athletics or even just, you know, academics or dating or whatever. Um, so I feel like you have somewhat of a similar journey, you know, kind of going to college or maybe just growing up. What at what point did you kind of just stop playing games? Was it a lot loss of interest or what really drove that? And then on the kind of the back end of that question, what recently has kind of been re- your resurgence or that fire that's kind of been lit under you to get more interested in games? Yeah. And if it's Otaku Brothers, feel free to give us a shout out. <laughs>
1: Uh, I think I got my uh, Xbox one before I, I knew about a Damn Brothers. it. So, yeah, I don't know that I can give you that one. But um, yeah, so like uh, you were kind of alluding to definitely like a scenario where, you know, as you get into high school, um, you know, I was really into music. So I was f- putting a lot of my efforts into that um, was really focused on making sure I had like good senior seasons and all my sports. Um, and then through most of high school and uh, all of college, I was working, you know, at least one, if not a few different jobs. Uh, and you know, when you're doing sports, you're doing music, um, you're working, there's just, there's only so much time in the day. Um, pair that with, uh, by that point, you know, we were firmly into the, uh, 360 PS3 generation Mm -hmm -hmm. and I didn't have any of those consoles. I didn't really have a way to get the money at the time for those consoles. So I think it was a combination of, I just didn't have the time and, um, you know, I'd pretty much played what I was going to play on the consoles I had. So. Um, as far as like resurgence, um, you know, once I got into grad school, I won't say I had free time then, but I knew like there was, you know, maybe like a glint of, uh, happiness on the horizon. Yeah. Um, so I took advantage of a black Friday deal figuring, you know, if nothing else, like it'll be a good streaming box for me. I can, you know, hook it up, uh, watch Netflix at my little studio apartment in Bowling Green. Uh, and Yeah. From there, just kind of started taking advantage of, you know, borrowing games from people here and there and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get back into it. Um A big part of the journey since I've gotten back in is trying to figure out like what kind of uh gamer I am, like what types of games speak to me now, because they're not necessarily the same types of games that would have spoken to me when I was younger.
0: Yeah. Well, you're in an interesting place, too, because I feel like. Now you have almost 10 years of catch up to do and not catch up if you don't want to. But in terms of it's got to be almost overwhelming with what's out there. And nowadays with, you know, the the trend being remaster and remake all these different games, it's it's a lot easier to play games that were on that PS3 360 Wii era on a Switch Xbox today.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the biggest gap, too, is not necessarily like. Um, all the games that you miss out on, but like how do you bridge the gap to the games that are there now? So like one Mm -hmm. of the things that you and I have talked about before is um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, like really fun game. I really like it, but like I missed that kind of chunk of time where, you know, those like role-playing games became so massively open world and so expansive and like I just can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where there might be some room to go back and play some other stuff is to start bridging that gap so that, you know something like that doesn't seem like such an audacious goal. Yeah. Uh, because it's one of those games. You know, I I feel like I sit down for two hours and I don't actually chip away any progress. No. Like, yeah. If uh, if I'm playing like the Spyro remasters or something and I put two hours into it, like that's a good like 15 percent for sure.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So,
1: um. But yeah, uh, remaster landscapes been really great. Uh super big into uh the Spyro ones. Um, Tony Hawk ones were incredible. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, Grand Theft Auto ones were. Uh, not really what anybody wanted yeah. or uh, asked for, but you'll have that, I guess. Well,
0: I didn't really think about that. You know, it's an interesting comment that you make where, you know, you played stuff on the Dreamcast, GameCube, PS2 era, and then you kind of just pull vault right into the Breath of the Wild, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Red Dead Redemption 2 era where these games are so massive. And I never thought, because I've just kind of been part of that evolution, how overwhelming it must be to kind of jump into one of those worlds.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's it's not like the end of the world. Like, these are absolutely first world problems. Mm-hmm. But yeah, something um that is you know, the the idea when I was a kid and you know into uh San Andreas or whatever that you know there were going to be games that to like actually thoroughly go through the story and like complete to some amount of like success. You're going to have to put in like 80 to 100 hours was unfathomable back then. Yeah. Like you might put that many hours into a game, but it wasn't because you had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where um, I can get tied up is, you know, finding a good middle ground between that and then like the kind of basic games where, um, you know, you, you have like an hour worth of playtime and that's it. So mm-hmm. finding a good sweet spot to bridge that gap while also like playing newer stuff is kind of hard. I think you kind of have to go into some of the back catalogs.
0: Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess my next question for you, and you've kind of alluded and talked a little bit about of kind of trying to identify uh, who you are as a gamer, you know, what genres are you kind of leaning more towards? And I think some of that you draw back on from your, your experience as a kid playing certain games, but nowadays, you know, thinking about kind of the big three, Nintendo with the switch PlayStation, PS five, we still got a lot of stuff coming out on PS four and Xbox, you know, series X and series S I feel like each of those three companies are doing very different things with their consoles. You know, PS5, very focused on those, like, big blockbuster single-player experiences. Xbox with its, you know, Game Pass, value for the consumer, multiplayer-type experiences with your Gears and Halos of the world. And Nintendo's just doing what, what Nintendo's been doing for, you know...
1: Yeah, a million years.
0: 35 years at this point. Plus, what, what about each of those, I guess, appeals to you? And is there anything that draws you towards... Because you haven't historically been much of a playstation person
1: uh so full disclosure it's it's uh the uh, inner sega fanboy in me uh i've got this hang up with sony i just can't buy in okay um a little bit of that lingering like knowing that um you know full stop like sega shot themselves in the foot but knowing that sony was kind of the the company that was there to pick the pieces up and steal that market share Mm -hmm. um has always been a little bit of a struggle for me. So like, I don't mind playing PlayStation stuff, but usually I've like historically only done that uh after kind of that uh console's prime. So I didn't get a PlayStation one until like 2005. Okay. Um I think when I got my PSP, it was like as they were launching the Vita or something like that. But um so yeah, I've been very like anti PlayStation just because of my Sega fanboyism for a long time. Uh, but seeing what they're doing now it's definitely kind of pulling me in a little bit more just because I've never been like much of an online gamer um you know especially like shooting games um first person stuff I've never been like super into it's it's for me it's always been more um like I keep going back to grand theft auto like the the bigger single person experiences where there's a world for you to wander around in and like you said that kind of seems to be where Sony's head is at these days mm-hmm. um you know Nintendo is um uh, Doing pretty much the same thing they've done forever, which is, you know, mostly kids stuff, nostalgia stuff, uh, a lot of party games, like stuff where uh, you're getting unique experiences that you aren't going to get from kind of mainstream gaming culture because they know that they can deliver that exceptionally well. Yeah, uh, And then Xbox. Um, yeah, that's my primary console right now, I think, for new games just because of Game Pass and the ability to try things out and then immediately discard them if I don't like them rather than, you know um i think after i got my switch i probably spent uh, a few hundred dollars on games most of which like have been played less than 10 minutes which i'm i'm sure no one listening to this podcast has ever had an experience like
0: that no i've actually my backlog is complete there's not a single game on my shelf that i haven't completed uh i not just beaten like i've gotten every collectible um i've hundred percent
1: you've got like platinum status on all all the games you've ever played right? even, even the, even the ones wants. on nintendo yeah,
0: yeah exactly even, i've broken the system on my xbox and my switch to get platinum trophies. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty intense, pretty
1: intense. Yeah. We can't all be to that uh, level, but I'm sure we're all aiming for it.
0: That's right. Okay. Well, all good stuff. I appreciate the perspective. I think it's really interesting to, again, um, talk to you about your journey. Cause I think it's just different from the, the people that we've talked to, uh, on the podcast to this point, but I have a lightning round. Okay. About eight to 10 questions. I don't want you to think about these too much. I want kind of just the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Just answer it with that. Okay. All right, here we go popular game that you don't like or didn't like when you played it?
1: Uh, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Without question. Okay. Awful. Um, Can I I? please elaborate? Yes. Uh, Yeah, so I can't wrap my head around how like that was the pandemic game because like what I was dealing with during the pandemic was feeling like I had all these things I was still expected to do despite like this global catastrophe and I didn't have any energy with which to do any of it. And like Animal Crossing does not help that at all. Like, so now there's a game that I have to go into every day and I've got to fetch all this stuff for some, uh, you know, some douchebag like rabbit or whatever Tom Nook is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it didn't help anything because I just felt like I had more things on my to do list and that's not what gaming is about. Like, I uh. can't wrap my head around how anybody like that.
0: That's an interesting angle to see it. Yeah. Tom Nook. I think he's uh, actually a raccoon, which I kind of have PTSD thinking about now that you, th- you kind of put it that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, like I felt more stressful playing that game than I felt working.
0: Yeah. I. Yeah. Oh, there's my dad calling like he always does on the episode. See, just because Ryan isn't here doesn't mean the normal things that happen on this show aren't going to happen. So,
1: well, I mean, we're trying to make it feel as normal as we can. Right.
0: That's right. We can only do our best here. Uh, next question here. Game you didn't think you'd like kind of the opposite of the other one, but you actually loved. Um, that's a little bit more challenging because I mean, you're so selective nowadays.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, most people aren't going out and buying games that they aren't expecting to like, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to think back, like if I've played games with other people or anything like that, nothing like super recent's coming to mind. Um, actually, um, so I got uh, Crash Team Racing, I think, with the uh, Crash Bundle oh, yeah. for Xbox. I never got into the uh, actual like Crash Bandicoot games, but we did play um, Crash Team Racing because that was before we had a Switch, so we couldn't play Mario Kart.
0: Okay, and that
1: ended up actually being like way more fun than you would have expected from just like a, a Mario Kart ripoff. Okay, um, definitely worth like giving a try. Like it's not a revelation in those types of games by any means. Like it's clearly very influenced by Mario Kart. But, you know, it's a little bit of a different um, mechanic style with, like, the items you can get. Worth giving, you know, an hour or two.
0: Okay, good deal. That's actually a good call-out because I have, for one, not played the, in the same vein that Toys for Bob did, the Spyro remastered trilogy. I have not played the Crash Bandicoot ones. And then I can't remember who did. But
1: Rusty Lewis hasn't played a platform. I know.
0: Fuck me, man. What's going on over here? Alert the, uh... The platformer police here, but... Um, you gotta
1: get out of Super Lucky's Tale and play the classics, man. What are you doing?
0: I know. And so, on the other side of that coin, I've not also played the um, the Crash Team Racing, Remaster, Remake, whatever it was. Because that was originally on the PlayStation 1.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to say those were probably more in the um, Remaster vein. Like, uh, I don't remember the controls feeling like modern in the sense of like, there's certain games you can tell by how they play. Like, have they remapped the entire control setup? Have they rebuilt the engine? Mm -hmm. I didn't get the sense they had done that, but it certainly looked like really good, you know, considering what they were coming from.
0: Okay. Good, good pick. I like it. I like it. Game you've spent the most hours on.
1: Oh, like ever or recently ever. Uh, almost certainly Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Really? Almost certainly.
0: I've never played San Andreas
1: have you never played San Andreas? It I, was the biggest game ever for like five years.
0: I don't know, man, but it's interesting because I feel like, you know, Rockstar was just popping games out like nobody's business yeah. back then. And I feel like San Andreas came out like a year after Vice City or something like that.
1: Yeah. Well, what you have to keep in mind, too, that's different between how uh, Rockstar is approaching stuff now versus how they were approaching things then is, you know, since there wasn't a great online landscape, there weren't like... um there wasn't a way to update games after they'd already come out, you know, something like uh vice city probably wouldn't have been a separate game. If they, if they were releasing those games today, mm-hmm. it would just be a DLC or it would be um, yeah, it's a good, an, it's... an upgrade. Whereas it's a good point. You know, back then they had to, like actually released a whole new game. Yeah. Um. So I think part of that frequency, you know, they were building the, the games off the same engines. They were using the same graphics. Like obviously they were upgrading stuff every time, but you know, the, the, crux of San Andreas is built on the same platform that uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 was. Whereas now you don't necessarily release a new game unless you're building something brand new from the ground up.
0: Yeah. See, so this is why I brought Sean on the show. He's a lot smarter than I am, and I need those kind of... I need the smart people here to make me look better, you know?
1: Or all uh, slaves in the R.E. Lewis machine.
0: Yeah, something like that. We keep coming back to that today. But, uh, favorite game soundtrack. This is an interesting one, I think. Because I I feel like it's... in. I feel like this would be somewhat nostalgic influenced Um,
1: yeah um that's another one where i don't want to keep coming back to san andreas but like the original soundtrack before they butchered it and uh the uh i guess we'll call that a remaster they certainly didn't remake anything with the new san andreas but um yeah that soundtrack had so many uh great songs especially in like alternative rock and metal that like Were genres I was just getting into when I was playing that game uh, that spun off a lot of other interests. Like, that's how I got into, like, Guns N' Roses and a lot of bands like that. Really? Um, Probably my first uh, exposure to Rage Against the Machine. Um, Yeah, as far as, like, games that have uh, scores or, like, their own custom soundtracks, nothing really jumps out for me. Um, I've always, like, in the back of my mind had, like, the uh, opening song from the first level of Sonic Adventure playing in the back of my mind, but
0: okay, good um, stuff. Yeah. Well, I figured you'd probably or potentially choose the Spyro games just because Stuart Copeland from the police.
1: Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's also a really fun one. Mm-hmm. Um That's another thing that I really like about how they did um, those remakes as you could actually toggle the original soundtrack versus the remastered soundtrack. So, could you really? Yeah. Yeah, you can go into the uh, sound settings for the game and you can toggle it back to the original score as uh, they had produced it for uh,
0: the PlayStation. That's amazing. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah.
1: Um, I really dig in uh, these remasters where you can like toggle old settings like that.
0: That's amazing. I remember Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition on the 360. With the click of a button, you could go back to the OG graphical style of Halo and then toggle it back to the new one. That level of polish or that little addition, I think is just... It's, it's it's not in them enough, I feel like. Yeah,
1: I would agree. And especially like something like that, like I don't know that you could do it on bigger games. Like if you were doing like, um, you know, Zelda remaster or if the Grand Theft Auto games could have leveraged something like that uh, on a disc-based format. But now that, you know, it's, you know, whatever your hard drive on your console can handle, mm-hmm. um, I think they could be doing more of that. And what would be really interesting is like, If it would be feasible since you're running at a lower polygon count, like you're running like less complex textures, would you be able to get like some performance gains out of that too? Like Mm. you can either run it highly polished at like a lower frame rate or at a lower uh, resolution or whatever, or you can run it in like the uh, old school stuff and you can do it at like 120 frames per second in, uh, you know, 4K. Not that you'd ever want to run like 1998 graphics in 4K. Probably
0: wouldn't look good. Yeah. Every,
1: uh every terrible polygon is replicated by a million pixels. That's
0: right. That's right. Okay. I like the picks. I'm really liking these picks here. Uh, so now here's like kind of a three for one special, what's your go-to game movie and TV show to kind of just veg out?
1: Um, game, probably, um, anything like that you think of when you think like Nintendo first party, party games. Okay um so you know mario party mario kart stuff like that stuff where it's like low stakes like you only have to commit like well you got to commit like an hour to mario party but like if you want to jump into mario kart and just play a few races like you can get in and out in 10 minutes if you want
0: to i don't know about low stakes when you're playing mario party listen like it's people's like arms and legs are on the line when we're playing that here well, in this household
1: it depends on who you're playing with yeah um you know like if uh, like my wife and i are doing like Co-op, like, we're fighting against other people. It's pretty low stakes, but, like, if we're going against each other, it can get a little intense sometimes. So oh, yeah. So, uh, we, we try to mostly play co-op now.
0: Okay. Good stuff. And um, uh, what about movie and TV show?
1: Um, movie? Probably The Big Lebowski. Mm. Um, I don't get super into movies just because, you know, especially if it's a casual thing like that, I don't like to, you know, have to commit to a few hours. Yeah. But that's always a really easy-going one, mostly because, like just a really low key movie. There's not uh, a super strict like storyline that they're working through the entire time. Uh, and it's just uh, really casual. And then TV shows, um, we bounce around a lot. Like we tend to do a lot of like rewatches of shows. So I wouldn't say like a specific show, but like, we're always like either rewatching how I met your mother or the office or like, uh, right now, like we're uh, rewatching Degrassi, the next generation, which I don't know if you have any familiarity with that one. Not like, really. No, uh, teen drama from, uh, I think it started in, like, 2001.
0: But was that a Nickelodeon
1: uh, It was on The N, not Nickelodeon.
0: The N. Okay. Yeah.
1: Are you familiar? not familiar with that either? No. Uh, so, you remember Noggin, right? Which was essentially, like, Nick Jr., but, all, like, all day. Yeah. Um, so, at night, they would switch to a concept called The N, which was, like, a rebranding of Noggin, which was more, like, teen-focused stuff. So, like, the way that they would segment is, like, Nick Jr. and Noggin were, like, the little kid stuff. Uh, mainline Nickelodeon is your like, um, tween early teen demographics. And then the end was kind of like what you were supposed to grow into. Uh, but that was more of like, I think a premium cable show. So like you had to have the special package to get that one.
0: Okay. Interesting. So I guess I'm going to ask a off the cuff question here, not lightning round related. And this is going to really influence how I feel about you going forward, Good. good. by the way. Uh, were you a Disney channel, a cartoon network or a Nickelodeon kid? Because you strike me because you're goofy as an, as a Cartoon Network kid for some reason?
1: Um, I was never super strict. Like, I know that fandom can get pretty harsh. Um, I would identify more as a Nickelodeon kid,
0: though. Okay. Yeah, you do tend to wear those Rugrats t-shirts every now and, now and again.
1: Yeah, yeah Nostalgia T-Game has been uh, strong in the last few years. They're really popping things out for us millennials.
0: Yeah. Okay. What was your favorite Nickelodeon cartoon?
1: Um, I mean, it varies over the years because, like, you're always kind of growing and changing. But, like... I would say, like, overall, probably The Angry Beavers.
0: Really? That's such a random one. Uh, Yeah, but it was good. I never really watched The Angry Beavers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I won't... It's one of those, like, I haven't done a thorough rewatch on it, so, like, I can't tell you that, like, it's quality that holds up, but, like, I remember it pretty fondly. Um, One that, like, definitely holds up really well and that you should absolutely uh, rewatch is Hey Arnold. Oh, yeah. That was one that I didn't appreciate as much as a kid, but, like, when I rewatched it a few years ago, I was like, wow, like... These people actually cared about making, like, good TV for kids.
0: And the life lessons, too. Yeah. in the episodes.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's a little bit more of, like, a cooler animated version of, like, Boy Meets World.
0: It is. That's a great comparison. Um,
1: Because, like, it wasn't quite as hokey as, like, especially the early seasons of Boy Meets World could be. Um, You know, Harold never felt forced. It always felt like, I think, because they go for that more, like, urban, jazzy sort of, like, vibe. Yeah. They were able to kind of slide the messages in a little cleaner that way. But yeah, uh, definitely like great to kind of like rewatch and have some nostalgia about like, you know, the lessons you took away from it that you didn't realize that you had taken away.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And I literally I didn't start doing a a hair on a rewatch, but occasionally I'll pull out because I have the DVD set um, and just throw on one of the random DVDs, watch a couple episodes before bed. And I literally ordered a John Coltrane uh, record after I watched a couple episodes yeah. of Hey Arnold. I'm like, I need to get into jazz music more. Yes. Like, so good. So good. Fantastic stuff. Well, um, the
1: uh, the appreciation for the genre so much that um, I forget which episode it is or like what it exists in within the broader narrative. But yeah, uh, there's an episode where um, Arnold wants to get into music to impress girls and he sees himself playing like not guitar or drums or something, but like electric piano, <laughs> which is like. The most, like the, the only genres that that instrument exists in, in a major way are like jazz and like, uh, rockabilly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Oh always did Really fun stuff like that.
0: Go watch Hey Arnold out there. All right. Support my boy football head. Good stuff. Still holds up today. Uh, second like Genesis or second like Dreamcast? Um,
1: probably for me, Dreamcast, not necessarily for like anything specific to the experience. But that was the console I was playing when I was starting to become a little bit more aware of gaming as, like, something more than just, like, a thing you do. Um, I think that's the one that uh, I was playing when I actually started, like, considering myself, like, as a gamer or, like, appreciating the culture rather than just, oh, hey, you know, this game is fun.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good point. we got a couple more here. So, next, video games or board games?
1: Um, Video games? Not necessarily. From a preference standpoint, just like the lack of effort that goes into setting up mm-hmm. um, with board games, too, especially like if you're not like super familiar with a lot of them, like it takes a lot of time to like physically set everything up. Like if you're kind of messy like I am, like you've got to clear off a space for your uh, board games to actually go. And um, yeah, it just ends up being a little bit of a time suck to set up the game, whereas like most video games are set up like you just push start and and you're into it. Um, that being said, we have been talking about trying uh, Dungeons and Dragons lately. So That's right.
0: Have you ever actually got any uh, campaigns off the ground yet?
1: Uh, I haven't. Uh, my wife Darcy has. Uh, she's playing with a work group, whereas uh, I don't actually know anybody who is actively playing right now other than her. It's just uh, I've got a good number of friends who are interested in giving it a try. So
0: Okay. Well, I'm one of those people, I hope. So um, I'd love to play. I... We had a group going in 2020. We were playing over Discord. We only did it like once or twice. Um, and I feel like that's something that you want to keep consistent just to keep the energy and excitement of the campaign going.
1: Yeah, well, and, or at the very least, like while you're getting your feet wet with it, like I feel like if you only play once or twice, you're really not getting the experience because you're still kind of learning the mechanics. I think you got to commit to doing like, you know, probably weekly sessions um, for a little while and then like actually bridging the gap into, you know, a, a bigger campaign at some point. Yeah. Um, I know what we've talked about doing is, uh, either starting with like one of the starter, uh, campaigns or something like that, where, it, uh, walks the dungeon master through, um, uh, how to run everything and, and kind of makes it a little bit more idiot proof. Um, I think that's probably a good starting point for somebody in my position, but yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can, uh, can do it. So,
0: well, shout out to uh, our boy Chronolink91. He's really big into D and D. So, uh, Alec, if you have any tips or pointers for us newbies out here, uh, Slide into our DMs and let us know. All right, we'd love to hear it. And uh, last but certainly not least, just kidding. We actually have two more here. Going into a video game store, browsing a shelf, combing through all the fun little bins of Game Boy Advance carts, or browsing on Amazon and adding to your cart.
1: Um. So most of what I'm doing these days is just doing like the Nintendo eShop or mm-hmm. like the Xbox Store or whatever. Just because I'm lazy and I don't like swapping out like discs and cartridges, Um, but if I'm looking for more nostalgia stuff, I think I'd rather go to a game store um, where you can kind of thumb through things and like you know feel it in your hands. That's a little bit more appealing to me than like you know kind of the eBay binges a lot of times.
0: Okay, that's a that's okay. I love it. And then kind of bridging into a question I don't really have planned, but I'm curious. So money being no object here, you have a blank paycheck to either get an Xbox or a PlayStation uh, in either case, regardless of, of the system and the games associated with it, would you go the series S route or would you go the series X and the same with PlayStation? Would you go the disc console or the disc list?
1: Um, I mean, if money's no object, um, definitely series X and the disc console, because if, you know, if the extra hundred bucks or whatever, doesn't matter to you in that stage, you might as well have the option. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, the option of like the disc with PlayStation and then obviously the better performance if it's the Xbox. But yeah, um, that being said, I would probably do that knowing full well I was going to electronically purchase most of the games. Yeah. But if, you know, you have like a special edition of a game you're really like and you want to buy a physical copy of, I don't usually get into that game. But like I do that with Blu-rays or like vinyl albums, stuff like that. So I could I could see that argument for uh, video games as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And the benefit, too, for, like, the Series X would be in the PS5, sort of, with PlayStation 4 backwards compatibility is just the backwards compatibility feature. Yeah. But I don't want to say nine times out of ten, but maybe more often than not, you can still get those games through the stores anyways.
1: Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, like, right now, like, not that this is specific to this question, but, like, when you talk about, like, you know, what would you do if you had a bunch of money to spend on gaming stuff? Like, we still haven't really gotten to a point with the... um uh, Xbox Series S, and Series X and the PlayStation 5 where we're really in a distinctly different generation. Like there haven't been that many games mm-hmm. where, you know, you can only play them on the new consoles. Almost everything that anyone cares about is still being released on last gen. So, yep. you know, if if I had five hundred dollars to spend right now, I don't necessarily know that's going towards a new console mm-hmm. uh, just because we're probably still a few years out from really needing those to get like the experiences you want to get. Yeah. Um. Honestly, right now, if I was going to have that money, I would probably um, just do a PS4 to round out like, um, you know, Switch, Xbox One X and um, yeah, PlayStation. And then from there, you know, buy like Spider-Man or, you know, a few of the games that have been PlayStation exclusive that uh, have been getting that good, good lately.
0: The PS4 would serve you so well because, I mean, that library is so extensive. There's so much there. Um, I know a number of people that have talked about it being... Kind of their favorite console of all time, even just because there's just so many exclusive titles, but also cross generational stuff that you could play. I could get you, you know, all all hot and bothered by the the trophy game, get you really into the collecting of that. I know you'd love it.
1: Yeah, that's actually been something in the back of my mind. Like when I think about whether to buy a game on Xbox or buy a game on Switch, like obviously there's the portability factor. But there's also, um, like the achievement side on Xbox, but you know, I, I listen to Otaku brothers, like, why would I even bother with achievements when the trophies are out there? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I got to buy a whole new console.
0: I like that. We've uh, converted you a little bit there, (laughs) at least in mindset, at least in mindset, physically we'll get you that PlayStation here, uh, in good order. We need to get you that, uh, PlayStation four and catch you up, chat about some good stuff on the podcast. Cause, um, yeah, I mean, Spider-Man's a great one. Uh, the last of us, I think would be another experience.
1: Really good things about that. Um, I don't usually look into the PlayStation exclusives too much just because, you know, eventually like it's one of those things where you go too far down the rabbit hole and all of a sudden you've spent a bunch of money. So I try to stay out of the rabbit hole entirely. Yeah. Good call. But yeah, um, the rumblings that I hear are that most of the games that I want to play are probably PlayStation exclusive.
0: Well, as we get kind of like maybe another year and a half deeper into the PlayStation five life cycle. I feel like you could probably pick up a PlayStation 4 console on eBay with a great bundle of some of the best games on the console for probably like 200 bucks.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, But once you start getting that far into the life cycle of the PlayStation 5, like the way that I would probably look at that is, you know, if I can't find the PlayStation 4 for like, 100 or 150 bucks like that's a tough sell because i'd rather wait it out another year or two wait for them to put out like a playstation 5 light or whatever where they start marking the price down because yep. i mean that's always been sony's game
0: oh yeah i mean i think within the next year and a half we're definitely going to get a, a ps5 slim
1: yeah honestly the only reason we probably haven't gotten rumblings about it already is because with all the supply chain issues that they had with Uh, The first generation of the PlayStation 5, you know, a lot of people who wanted that still don't have it.
0: It's very true. Um, It's very true.
1: And have you heard like any of the rumblings that I guess um, year over year, they've actually been reiterating the hardware inside the PlayStation 5s. So that essentially, like if you compare one from when they first came out a few years ago to like one that was manufactured this year, like it takes up significantly less space in the case than it used to. So it seems like they're working towards that goal
0: really okay yeah, i
1: don't remember where i saw that but i know i saw some articles about it last week where like if you actually tear them apart like the hardware is much smaller now than it was a few years ago
0: interesting yeah Well, i know too um i think it was maybe the switch they really compressed the box size for that to cut back on like shipping materials oh yeah that makes stuff sense. Like that. yeah um and i think i feel like the japanese already pack their their games and cases and consoles in really compact yeah little boxes as it is but
1: Well, I mean, you think about that from like a a manufacturing and like shipping standpoint, you know, if you can save a couple inches or like even a fraction of an inch per box, that's an extra few boxes you get on every pallet, which, Mm -hmm. you know, over the course of selling a few million consoles, like that's going to add up for shipping costs for you for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll circle back on this whole, you know, console iteration conversation here when we get into the Nintendo Direct stuff. But my final lightning round question for you, Sean, Space Jam 1. Or, you know, actually, I'm going to switch this up. I was going to say Space Jam 1, Space Jam 2, kind of a joke at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Everyone
1: knows that play, or, uh, Space Jam 2 is way better.
0: Exactly. Space Jam 1 or a goofy movie?
1: That's a tough one. Um, I think for me, it's got to be a goofy movie. Uh, I was never a big, like, basketball kid growing up, so... <laughs> I don't quite have that attachment to space jam that some people have, although I really like space jam a whole lot. Um, but like a goofy movie has like, I think the themes and the lessons from it mm-hmm. are much more lasting. Whereas like space jam is just a really fun romp. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. I'd probably say the same thing. Love goofy movie. Um, gosh, the music in that, that,
1: yeah, that movie well, and, is so good. And like, it's almost like a forgotten stepchild of like the stuff Disney was doing at that time. Cause it was only a couple years after uh lion King. It was when Pixar was kind of first coming on. And like, uh, it's, it's an underappreciated gem in my opinion. Like it does not get the love that it deserves.
0: Now, what about an extremely goofy movie? Were you ever into that one? The animation was kind of off and um, weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine. Like, I mean, it's classic Disney direct to VHS sequel territory for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily like, it's it's no worse than any other Disney direct VHS sequels were, um, but it's definitely like not as uh, good as the original. Um, still mad that they have no explanation of what happened to Roxanne.
0: Yeah, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, it's terrible. Like that what was supposed to be a lasting love. Mm-hmm. Like we bought into that, and uh, that's probably the only place where like I really dislike that movie. Is uh, you know. I feel like we were sold bill of Goods that Disney didn't cash us in on.
0: And they've never done that. That was an isolated incident, too. Oh, yeah.
1: Disney would never, ever retcon anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those those, those those pals over at Disney, they're doing stuff. Speaking of.
1: They would never buy, like, other franchises and retcon those, for sure.
0: No, they would never. My gosh. Come on, Walt. He, he'd, he'd be rolling in his grave if that kind of shit was yeah. happening nowadays. I mean,
1: so, uh, I'm going to get, like, stalked by a mouse now tonight or- Probably. Is is that how this works? Because we're like actually doing this in public media. Like I'm going to get threatened soon, right?
0: Yeah. That's kind of the danger that you've walked into now that you're projecting your voice on the interwebs. Oh man. So Um, you do have to kind of be mindful of what you say.
1: Okay. I better, uh, I better get some cameras put up around my house for when the mouse comes.
0: Yeah. Big big brother, Walt. He's, he's listening. (laughs) He's listening for sure. Uh, Well, good stuff. Hopefully the listeners have a better appreciation for my new temporary guest over here. Have a better idea of who you are, the types of games that you like. Uh, Your love of Roxanne and a goofy movie and everything in between. Oh, yeah. But what I'd love to kind of get into, um, because you and I don't talk as much and you're not as frequent in the discord necessarily either, which is going to change as part of the contractual obligation to being a co-host on this podcast.
1: Yeah, um, we didn't mention yet, but I actually had to sign a blood oath before I was allowed in the game room. So, uh, yeah, I think I owe my eternal soul to Rusty now.
0: Yeah, you weren't supposed to mention that, but I can always, you know, edit that out in post. Please help me. Yeah, but I'd love to hear the types of games that you've been playing recently. It doesn't have to be in the past couple of weeks or even months, but I'd love to hear, you know, your journey getting the Switch and what it's been like kind of booting that console up. Do you play docked? Are you playing portable? What kind of games do you play nowadays?
1: Yeah, so uh, with the Switch, um, like, a lot of people I decided to get one during the pandemic and then, you know, couldn't find one for like a year. Yeah. Um, Just because like, you know, if you're locked in your house, you might as well be doing like some Mario party and stuff like that. Like, you know, like we talked about earlier in the episode, uh, low key games that, you know, don't, you know, you don't have to have a ton of buy-in, like you don't have to be emotionally invested. You don't have to remember a story. Uh, That was kind of the appeal to getting a switch for me. And then um, obviously just the portability factor. Like, I don't know that I've ever played it outside my house, but I like being able to sit in the living room like while my wife is watching something and still be able to like play games if she's watching something I'm not super interested in. Absolutely. So that's that's the big thing for the Switch for me and why like it's a lot of times like unless there's a reason to go for something on Xbox, I like kind of start with Switch and then move from there. Um, but since I got the Switch, it's mostly been like the Nintendo first party stuff, given a lot of that stuff a try since. Like I said, when I had a GameCube, you know, we didn't really have the money for those types of games a lot of times. Um, So catching up on some of that stuff, um, been getting into a lot of the remasters and uh, things like that, um, given like the, um, I forget what the name of it is, but like the Mario collection. Oh, uh, yeah, the Mario 64 and Odyssey and all that. Yeah, Mario All-Stars. Yeah, I played a little bit of that. what I've been coming back to a lot the last few months is just been playing through the um, Grand Theft Auto Remaster trilogy just yeah. to, you know, see how bad it really is. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not great. Um, but I've been trying to work my way through it uh, one game at a time because I never actually played three or Vice City through to completion as a kid because I was so wrapped up with San Andreas by the time everything was out on Xbox. So.
0: Well, and as a kid, I have to know, were you just running amok, causing chaos and mayhem in the city? Or were you actually going through the story? Um, a little bit of both.
1: For three in Vice City, definitely just running amok in the city. Yeah. Um, For San Andreas, that was when I actually started, like, appreciating the game and story aspects of Mm, it. Okay. Um, Yeah, started playing that one through to completion. Um, And kind of the story with, like, all three of those was, like, I got into them uh, while at friends' houses who had PlayStations, uh, because those games were PlayStation exclusive originally. Um, So by the time I was able to get them for my Xbox, I had gotten a little bit older and had a little bit more of an appreciation. But by that point, like we were firmly into like San Andreas territory. So if you're yeah. going back to Vice City or uh, Grand Theft Auto 3, it was more like, you know, just to kind of get a different scene rather than to play through the story.
0: Okay. Okay. Now you sent me a text about a week ago and uh, my ears perked up. I was super excited because you said, hey, what's the deal with, you know, Fallout, Skyrim? You know, I, I didn't really get into Fallout. Didn't really like the mechanics. If I play Skyrim, mm-hmm. i going to feel the same way. And I tried to reassure you that give Skyrim a chance, play the first hour or so, make sure you get in the open world, get past that opening dungeon thing. Have you had an opportunity to sink your teeth into Skyrim yet? Um,
1: I've played it a little bit. Wouldn't say like sink my teeth in. Like I've gotten through the opening dungeon, like the tutorial and everything, but I haven't really started exploring the world yet. Um, Been a really busy few weeks, but that's actually one I'm looking forward to kind of deep diving in the next few months. Okay. Uh, Just because, you know, like I mentioned before, like, I would love to get through breath of the wild, but it's a little too much. Whereas uh, from what I've gathered from other people, like Skyrim's a good, like kind of bridge game to get you through that generation of like, uh, RPGs where you're going to expect to spend like 10 to 20 hours on the main story rather than, you know, 80 to a hundred.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know so many people that don't even touch the main story until they're, they already have a hundred hours in the bag in Skyrim. Yeah. But I'm one that kind of likes to just get through that main story and then kind of bridge off or, or, you know, get out there do the dark brotherhood do the thieves guild the mages guild there's so many other you know side quests that you can get lost in uh but yeah i feel like you know getting back to your comment about breath of the wild where you can put an hour in and feel like you didn't accomplish anything yeah and i feel like in skyrim they have dungeons and caves littered across the map that you can go into and depending on whether you do like a stealth playthrough or you're 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 going in like just shooting your arrow like a crazy person swinging your axe or sword um you can get through a couple dungeons maybe do Mm -hmm. a side quest or two in an hour and a half yeah, and, and feel like you accomplished something.
1: Well, and the other thing too with Skyrim, like as time has, uh, I think bared out with that game, like there's a lot of replayability. So like you mm-hmm. can play through it um, as one type of character, go back yes. and, and do it again with a different style and try to take a different approach. Whereas like, I don't know with like breath of the wild or some of the like more contemporary ones. Like I'm sure there's some RPG mechanics where like you build your character out the way you want over time, but it's not necessarily the same as like, you know, you start with an orc one time, and then you start with an elf, uh, an elf the next time.
0: For sure, and you know, at least for me, whenever I'm watching like Lord of the Rings or Spider Man movies, or doing a like a Batman uh, Christopher Nolan rewatch, like I tend to want to play games as those characters in parallel to watching those things. Yeah, and for you, kind of getting into D and feel like Skyrim is a great parallel game yeah. to do that with.
1: Yeah, that was kind of what initiated me thinking about it because, like previously, um, like you mentioned, like I. Couldn't get into Fallout. I didn't dislike it. It just didn't really speak to me. Um, but looking up like ways that you can kind of start working into those like D mechanics through video games, since I don't really have a group that I'm playing with right now. Um, Skyrim comes up on pretty much every list as like a top tier. Like, hey, if you want to play a game that's kind of like D and D and we'll give you a little bit of that experience, but you know, that you can do by yourself, mm-hmm. um, it's usually like top three on most
0: lists. Yeah.
1: So that was kind of what uh, spawned that idea and from there deciding like, you know, is it worth taking the plunge and uh, because it's on uh, Game Pass, you don't really have to take a plunge. So
0: Good stuff. I like it. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how you make progress in Skyrim and how your feelings about it kind of evolve and change as you get deeper into it, because uh, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I know it's one of Ryan's favorite games of all time, uh, but I know a lot of people that listen have either never played the game or just never have really gotten deep into that type of an RPG. The setting just doesn't really do anything for them. So um, I don't want to say it's a love-hate relationship for people, but I, it kind of tends to be.
1: Yeah. Well, and I was surprised to hear that. Um, for both of you, like you really like Skyrim, but you didn't like Fallout. Yeah. As much. Um, just because, like, with friends that I've talked to about those games in the past, like most people that I know have been like either firmly in the camp of both games or firmly like not interested at all in either game. Yeah. Um, so to hear that they were different enough that you know you can fall on kind of different sides of the fence each way um, was, was a big part of why I was willing to pick it up.
0: Good deal. Well, I'm glad I could influence your taste just a little bit. We'll hear more about that in the future. Any other games you want to talk about?
1: Um, well, I mean, we have to talk about Super Lucky's Tale at least once an episode, right? Is that, we do. Did you play rolls. that? Uh, I did a while back. It was, it was good.
0: It was just good. Okay. Just kind of mid.
1: I mean, I didn't keep coming back to it, but it's one that, like, if I was not already invested in some other games i would probably come back to because there's enough of like a story that i don't want to play that piecemeal like an hour every couple weeks like that's one that i think i would want to actually like sit down and like play through
0: but you probably had a big old happy smile on your face while you were playing right i mean how could you look at that little character and not be happy
1: it's true it's 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 a very fun little character Yeah,
0: overwhelmingly positive for sure if you haven't played new super lucky's tale super lucky's tale get it out there on xbox switch pc playstation whatever uh, you know, we're always going to encourage people to play it on PlayStation because you get that easy platinum trophy. It's like 51 trophies in that game, too. It's good stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, whatever you say, Rusty. That's right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just reiterate what I say. Repeat after me. Exactly. It's how we got to do things around here. Yes, boss. Um, <laughs> well, I'll talk through the games that I've been playing recently. It's been a month since we've been behind the mic, so I've gotten through quite a bit. So my wife and I went on vacation about a month ago. We were on an island, uh, not Destiny Island. Let's not get things confused here. But I feel I that last playthrough of uh, Destiny Island Challenge was like for your life. It kind of was, yeah. Um, Jeff Propes, if you're listening, I do want to be on Survivor. I've already sent in one audition tape. I'm building the next now, so just uh, keep your DMs open, buddy. I was gonna say, was that not the entire
1: reason for that vacation? Was so you could do another Survivor audition tape?
0: The first time we went there, kind of was. We kind of went into the vacation in mind that we were going to find some spots for me to record the audition tape. The one that I'm building out next. I'm taking a different approach. Okay. So, uh, and I'm really excited about it. Like I don't, again, I'm kind of biased because I'm me, but I don't know how the casting team is going to watch this and say, nah, next. Like I'm putting a lot of work into this one.
1: Have you made sure that they know that you're that rusty Lewis and the cache that you bring to the show?
0: I don't think, no,
1: you got to make that clear. I do.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely link my YouTube page for sure. And that (laughs) dragon ball origins two unboxing. That'll just, that'll sell them. Yeah. That'll sell them um i feel like for me when i'm traveling that's like the only time i want to play the switch um just because when i'm at home i kind of want to just sit on my couch with the big screen playing playstation um and even my series x for that matter and because i tend to only play my switch portably um sometimes i play a dock but anyways when i vacation i get on the plane and i have a little carrying case and in the carrying case i have like i don't know eight to ten games and more recently you know, if
1: you bought all your games digitally that uh, you wouldn't have that limitation.
0: That's true.
1: Yeah. Now, you wouldn't be able to resell your Nintendo games for, you know, three quarters of what you paid for them.
0: I'm going to have kids someday, Sean. I have to play for that college education somehow. Right.
1: That's, uh, that's a good way for the, the game collection to go here in the game
0: room. Exactly. Exactly. Um, if they go out of state, it's on them, though. <laughs> that's just how things are going to be. <laughs> you got to sell your there. own game collection then. Yeah. you piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, so. I was looking at this particular game in my little case because it's just been staring at me, giving me all kinds of harsh feedback because everyone's over there beating and playing on Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And back in the pandemic, one of my go-to games to retreat to was the first Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition on the Switch. Great JRPG. And I just remember back in 2020, got really deep in the game, got to a boss around like chapter 12 or 13, kicked my butt and I like... Put it down for like a month, came back to it, conquered the boss, got deeper into the game. And then I got to another boss that just annihilated me and my entire party within minutes. And I was so deep in the game. I was 60 hours in. I just kind of wanted this to roll credits at that point. So I shelved it for like two years, but I kind of got this like, I don't know, this fire under me. I was ready to play the game again, try to conquer it. So I looked up good places to farm and I got to this area and from one On one of my flights, I increased like five to six levels, and I beat the boss on my first try. Which is kind of how that those things tend to go, you know.
1: Well, and the other thing too is, it's even if you're not leveling up significantly, like just the time away, like you're going to come back to it with a completely different approach than you had the first time. Yeah, and a lot of times it's not necessarily your level; it's the way you're trying to do it, and like the way you fixated on what you think is the right way. That like once you actually know the right way, like you weren't even
0: close. That's exactly right, and lo and behold. I'm kind of stupid, by the way. I don't know if we've actually talked about that in the last 145 episodes, but... I think
1: that has been a topic.
0: Okay, we've talked about that. Um, And so I was actually on the second to last boss on the final chapter of the game. So I literally, if I just ground out a few levels for like two hours, I could have like just steamrolled the rest of the game, which is exactly what I did on my flight down to vacation. I rolled credits in one of the best JRPGs I personally have ever played in my life, xenoblade chronicles i'm so glad i went back to it i kind of wish i'd beaten it in 2020 even though i kind of count it as beat uh for game of the year discussion back then but what a terrific game i know people um have mixed feelings about the combat system because it is very mmo like where you have kind of this hot bar of buttons at the bottom and you kind of just auto attack and then you use certain special abilities on enemies leveraging that hot bar in the bottom again very mmo like Not for everyone, but I feel like if you're playing on the easiest difficulty, you know, someone like you that doesn't have a a ton of experience playing JRPGs, you can still get an idea of how the game is played. It's not overwhelming, not too much to wrap your head around and just appreciate the story, the characters, how vast the world is and kind of getting lost in that. And also just, I mean, the music is out of this world. It's so freaking good. Um, And honestly, I'm just happy to kind of finally polish this one off the backlog and move forward comfortably in the Xenoblade Chronicles series.
1: Yeah. So a potential noob question for like that genre, but how does that compare to like um, some of the final fantasy stuff that you get into?
0: I mean, it really, the
1: way you're describing it sounds a lot like what my understanding of final fantasy is as someone who's never played.
0: I think the later final fantasies, I mean, I think the highlights of Xenoblade Chronicles for sure story characters Um, The world itself and then, of course, music tends to be a highlight uh, in any good JRPG, but certainly the Final Fantasy series. Um, But I think Xenoblade Chronicles differs from a lot of the Final Fantasy series with its combat. Now, the later Final Fantasy games, 13 being particular, um, divisive for a number of reasons, but one of them is what's called the paradigm system, which is kind of this semi confusing battle system to wrap your head around. Certainly when compared to Final Fantasy 1 through 10, that was, for all intents and purposes, turn-based, um, relatively easy to wrap your head around. Okay. Kind of standard fare with JRPGs back in the 80s through the 90s and early 2000s. So, um, I think in terms of newcomer-friendly, a new JRPG to get into, Final Fantasy 9 and 10 is kind of where I would tend to steer people to if you're looking to get into Final Fantasy. Um going outside of the final fantasy realm a game that you can pick up today on your switch um, or playstation or xbox dragon quest 11 super colorful one of the most polished dragon quest games in the series and i don't want to say it holds your hand but the dragon quest series is kind of known for not straying far from its roots in terms of combat monsters that you fight story things like that it's standard yeah, so it is, yeah
1: pretty true to its roots whereas you know with other stuff like i know, um like breath of the wild coming back to that one again like that got a lot of like not mixed response for the game itself but the ways in which it's towing into different types of games so mm-hmm. that's not really going to be a thing with that from from how it sounds
0: yeah dragon quest doesn't really tend to reinvent the wheel which i appreciate because it's kind of like going back to your favorite restaurant you know what you're going to get you get it every time you know what to expect
1: yeah well i think it's good too because uh you know, if all games are moving a little bit, you know, per game uh, towards whatever the hot thing is, like eventually you just end up with like this homogenized, like everything is kind of the same. Whereas if you've got some like tentpole franchises that are sticking by what they've always done, it kind of anchors that as like, you know, this this was the way this all started, too. So you don't um, lose the minutia of what makes games or experiences like that special.
0: Exactly. It's exactly right. So yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, kind of getting back to that. I loved it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go right into Xenoblade 2, uh, just because speaking of combat systems, that one's even, I think, more divisive than the first game was. And all the hype surrounding the third game right now, I did buy a copy. I kind of would like to get on that. Just to be able to talk about it with my friends that are playing it right now, but also, you know, thinking about game of the year conversation, I feel like that could be a pretty significant contender. So we'll see where that takes me, but... Couple other games I'll rattle off here uh, that I played on vacation. I ended up also finishing Golf Story. I, I started playing that earlier in the year, got about ten to twelve hours in. This was another one where I was at the tail end of the game, only needed to pump a few more hours into it. And my gosh, if you were looking for a old school Mario Golf type of RPG, you know, hearkening back to the GBC game on you know Game Boy Color Mario Golf, or um, I think it was Mario Golf. Not Toadstool Tour, that was GameCube. I can't remember the one on Game Boy Advance, but
1: you know. The Double
0: Dash. That's right, (laughs) Double Dash. uh, Mario Golf Double Dash on Game Boy Advance. Um, Where you could
1: uh, run around with your caddy on your back.
0: Exactly. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. But if you're looking for that golf RPG, look no further. Golf Story, I think, borrows a lot of the mechanics that were really solid in those earlier Mario Golf games. Also adding its own unique spin on things with hilarious dialogue, um, a goofy story. And while I think it kind of overstays its welcome towards the end, um, still absolutely worth the time I spent playing it. Really enjoyed my time with that. And then um, I'm going to skip over this one until I finish it because I've already given brief impressions. What I want to spend the most time talking about is a game called Toem, T-O-E-M. This was a free game through PlayStation Plus this month. Um, not really a game I would tend to go towards, but it's a black and white game. You start out in a very Pokemon-like fashion where you're playing as this little kid and you kind of walk out of your bedroom into the main family room where your mom's standing there and kind of encourages you to kind of go out on this adventure. And as a part of going on this venture, she gives you this, um, not Kodak camera. What are those ones like that you take the picture? Oh, little- Polaroids. Thank you. A little Polaroid camera. And she says, go out on your adventure and make sure you kind of take pictures of everything along the way. And the unique thing about this game, it's kind of played from a bird's eye view, isometric perspective, where you feel like each of the environments are very diorama like. And what you do is you go out on this like little adventure. There's like five to six different levels they kind of pit you in. And when you get to each new city or location, you talk to all these really goofy NPCs. Each time you talk to them, they kind of spur on this little quest or this little mini side quest that you have to do, all involving your use of this camera to solve a puzzle, take a picture of something they want you to take a picture of, and just solve random quests along the way, eventually making your way to this final location um, that you want to kind of go back to your mom and say, like, hey, I did it. I made it in the the adventure. Yeah. So
1: um, I guess to try to give the listeners a little bit of a picture of, like, how the game looks like, is it, like, true... Two dimension top down like uh, Pokemon, or is there like some three D effect going on? Or I guess how does how does the art style look?
0: So the art style I would almost liken to um, if you've played some of those more top down Zelda games like A Link to the Past, or um, probably the best comparison actually would be um, Link's Awakening, the remake for Switch. Where I mean, again, it, the best way I could describe it is like a diorama. Like you're in these very closed off box like little environments, and when you go to uh, you know Either side of the screen, top, bottom, left, or right, it kind of moves the screen to the side or the top or the bottom in a similar old-school Zelda-like fashion. Yeah, okay. Um, and the other unique thing about this game, you know, when it's very centered around the use of your camera for progression, I've never really been into the Pokemon Snap series. I know we only have the N64 and the more recent one for Switch. I kind of enjoyed the game on N64 just for the novelty of it when I played it as a kid. Um, but i really didn't get into the switch pokemon snap but the unique thing about this game is that you are building a compendium so each time you take a picture of a squirrel or a fox or a dog or a cat it captures a unique photo and it says added your compendium in a similar way that when you capture pokemon you're adding it to your pokédex
1: yeah so there's a little bit more of like um a- Not necessarily strategy, but there's, there's more to it than just, Hey, go around and take pictures
0: and stuff. Exactly. And, um, like golf story, the writing is super witty. It's goofy. It's also pretty self-aware. Um, the developers clearly just had such a fun time developing the game because littered around the entirety of the game are all of the developers pets. And when you take a picture of them, it's like, Oh, there's Scooby, you know, like Scooby the dog or, you know, Ralph the cat or whatever. Um, and I don't know, man. It, it's just such a good time. It reminds me a lot of a short hike, an indie game that I played back in 2020 on Switch, has recently come to other platforms. You're, there's not a moment when you're playing this game you're not smiling. While the progression system is, you know, you talk to all these NPCs, check a bunch of boxes with all the quests that you're completing, um, in order to basically get a bus ticket, you have to complete like 80% of the missions in each level to get a bus ticket stamp to get to the next location. Um, but if you're a completionist like me, you're going to want to explore every nook and cranny, take a picture of every fun little animal littered around each of the locations and certainly complete every quest. Because again, it's so much more than just like, Hey, go find a squirrel and take a picture of it.
1: Well, and I think where, um, those types of games are, are really finding a nice niche is they're playing pretty firmly in that, uh, wheelhouse that Nintendo used to pretty much solely dominate. Um, but now when Nintendo puts out those types of games, you know, so when it's the actual like Mario golf stuff like that, like it's, you, you know where they're going with it, like, because you've already seen it before and because Nintendo is always kind of working in not the same like construct, but in like a very similar construct, um, you kind of know what to expect going in and you don't have that wow factor necessarily. Whereas like with these indie games, I think they've got a little bit more uh, leeway to kind of run around, try new things, like have a little bit more of a quirky humor style. Whereas like, the uh, Nintendo like play and humor style is like very classic at this point.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great call out. And I feel like this game does, you know, shamelessly borrow the mechanics of something like Pokemon snap and even having a compendium similar to a Pokedex, but yeah, you're absolutely right where they just add such a unique flavor and spin on things that, um, yeah, it just really struck a chord with me. Very wholesome experience. I think I beat it in about four to five hours, hundred percent of the game, got the platinum trophy, and you can get this on everything. You can get it on Switch. You can get it on Steam. I think you can get it on Xbox. Maybe not, actually. Um, but as far as I know, you can get it on PlayStation, Switch, and PC. Okay. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, and the other nice thing with um, stuff like that, um, I had somewhere I was going to go with that, and I lost it.
0: It's all good. And the other thing I'll mention, too, is oddly enough, I don't know if the developers plan this or not. It's free on PlayStation Plus for September. The other neat thing is the developers just did a free update with a couple new levels. I think adding on to your compendium. So it kind of gives me a reason to go back and further complete the game. Nice. So good stuff. A whole slew of really great games we're playing recently. Uh, I'll do another shout out. I haven't started playing this yet. I know my my co-host Ryan is probably really deep into this um, version 1.0 of Temtem has released not to be confused with Toem temtem is the P- pokemon inspired mmo it's released on switch it's also released on playstation and i think it's also on steam i got it on playstation um, because i watched ryan play a bit on switch and it looked to chug quite a bit as you can imagine an mmo running on yeah. switch um, but i've heard great things it's reviewed well the gameplay i've watched really seems to again shamelessly rip off everything that pokemon has done to this point but had a unique spin on it. Right. So going forward, I'll definitely have impressions of that on the show.
1: Nice. Um, yeah, I thought for sure when you mentioned Ryan, it was either going to be like you were going into, like, RuneScape or uh, Monster Hunters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Ryan, uh, he, he likes what he likes, you know?
1: I mean, those games exist for, you know,
0: an audience. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And speaking of games existing for a particular audience, Sean... PlayStation, Nintendo. We've talked a lot about them to this point, but I think we can't continue talking on this show without getting into all of the news coming away from the Nintendo Direct and the PlayStation State of Play. What do you say we get into it? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do it. Alrighty, Sean. We, like I said, have to talk about the Nintendo Direct, the PlayStation State of Play. I know you don't necessarily have a horse in this race, a dog in this race. What's the uh, what's the phrase there? Uh, I think horse in this race, yeah. Okay. That seems the accurate. Dog racing kind of seems not okay.
1: Well, the, uh, the heat's also starting to get to us in the game room, so uh, this is the part in the show where you'll have to start forgiving uh, any weird turns of phrase that you've never heard before. So yeah, it's just, all, just so the good listeners know.
0: It's all part of the experience in here. It's hot as Hades in this room and now you get a taste of it. So we talked on the podcast, but of course you don't really get to understand that as a listener unless you're actually in here. And now Sean gets to understand what Ryan and I are talking about. But the first question I have to ask you is, did you have an opportunity to watch the direct in the state of play?
1: Yeah. I uh, watched through both of them a couple days ago to make sure I was well prepared for the episode. Um, Now, it was the first time I've watched uh, those types of events specific to games. Like I've seen like clips from E3 and like stuff like that that's a little bit more focused. But uh, the first time I've seen like manufacturer specific presentations like that, Um, which very similar to like Apple keynotes, things like that, that I think like most business students have seen. Um, But my first kind of approach to it from this this lens.
0: Okay. Okay. good stuff. Well, what I'll tell the listeners is I'm not planning to go game by game. Um, for either of the conferences. I really kind of just picked, I would consider the greatest hits from these. I'd love to hear, again, your perspective on these announcements, whether or not these games interest you like they interest me, and uh, so on and so forth. But I think because the Nintendo Direct was first, we'll start there. Yeah, for sure. So when whoever was kind of hosting the show, and again, these aren't live. This is all like pre-filmed or whatever. Um, They invited Miyamoto to the stage. Of course, famous for creating... The Legend of Zelda and Metroid and Mario and all of the you know standout uh, flagship Nintendo franchises and all the wh-
1: things they're still milking to this day.
0: That's right. That's that's exactly right. And uh, one of the franchises that's always been dear, near and dear to Miyamoto's heart is Pikmin. And after some bullshit, you know, like iPhone game related to Pikmin, he announced Pikmin Four, which I'm pretty sure back in 2015 he had said that this game was near finished. Um, and it's 2022 and this game is arriving in 2023, but what I want to know from you, I have no history with the Pikmin games. Honestly, the gameplay loop doesn't seem that interesting to me, but I'm curious, have you played Pikmin before?
1: Uh, I know nothing about Pikmin. So that was one part of the, uh, the direct that I didn't really know what to expect. I was trying to pull like, even just like from what the play style is, but
0: literally know nothing about that series. Mm Um. Seem like fun, I guess. I mean, I think it's a wholesome experience. You know, I don't really know. Um, There's very few people that I've talked to to say, oh my gosh, Pikmin is my favorite game of all time. I'm sure there's someone out there, someone out there right now, probably not listening to this podcast. Pikmin is among one of their favorite games of all time. Um, I'm not one of them, but I have heard that Pikmin 3 is, uh, I think it was originally a Wii U game. Of course, it's been ported to Switch at this point. Um, Great game to play co-op. Okay, so maybe I'll have to get on that train uh, before Pikmin Four because I feel like I need to do some studying up before I just jump to the fourth game in the series.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if that's what it's known for too, there's probably some element of like you know you can play Halo single player, but if you haven't played online, you don't really get it.
0: That's exactly right. That's right. Um, next up that I have here in my notes, Fire Emblem Engage. This is coming January twentieth, twenty twenty three. I speaking of needing to do my my studying and my homework. I am so backlogged on the Fire Emblem series. Uh, originally, you know, very successful in Japan back in the day. And we got a couple games here in the West on the Game Boy Advance, eventually the GameCube and the Wii. But I feel like after Fire Emblem Awakening came out in the 3DS, Nintendo and whoever actually develops the Fire Emblem games has been like really milking the series to the point where we are almost on a annual basis getting Fire Emblem games We got Three Houses a couple years ago. That was a mainline game in the series. And then I think this year we got some type of Hyrule Warriors, Dynasty Warriors type of Fire Emblem game. And now we're already getting the next Fire Emblem game in the series. Of course, if you're not familiar with the series, it's very uh, grid based, tactical type of RPG. But I'm curious, Sean, if you have any any history with the series. Um,
1: I have no history with the series. That was one that watching through kind of piqued my interest as something I might want to check out. Um, yeah, nothing fresh, but I will add, you know, from the commentary around a lot of releases lately, that's kind of the yin to the yang of, um, you know, Rockstar not releasing any new games in the last, you know, five years or whatever. So, yeah, um, so if you like stuff that gets frequent releases, maybe that's a series for you.
0: Yeah. I'm not really into that stuff. Like, especially stuff like Assassin's Creed, just, it just doesn't really do anything for me. You know, um, it's not my cup of tea, but, um, Yeah, Fire Emblem Engage. I wouldn't really buy this day one because I have three houses. It's been sitting on my shelf for a while, and I just haven't had a chance to really get into it. Uh, One series, though, I I would recommend getting into for people, and maybe yourself, Sean, uh, if Fire Emblem seems too overwhelming, I'm sure you could get into it just fine. Uh, But Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Yeah. It's kind of like an XCOM Fire Emblem. Uh, It it definitely resembles those games um, shamelessly. Okay. And I think, you know, having the, the cutesy Mario and rabbits characters as opposed to the more serious kind of medieval high fantasy type stuff might be more your... More yeah, your, it
1: might be a little bit more like open for uh, new players where you're not also trying to figure out like a lore and like, a you know, the, the whole, uh, not necessarily like story component, but the whole like aesthetic and like what this world is made up of.
0: That and things. one of the mechanics of Fire Emblem that it's kind of known for is permadeath. So these characters that you might be hanging around with going on a journey for 20 hours and then they get killed and they're, they're dead for good. Okay. And like, you love to see that. And Mario Rabbids kingdom battle, as much as we'd like Luigi to probably die forever, you know, <laughs> he's coming back. He's, he's going to be fine. Well, you know, good and the bad, right? I'm just kidding. We never want Luigi to die. He's great. Um, next up I have here, and this kind of maybe steers into the conversation. I eventually want to get to here. Kirby's return to dreamland deluxe. This is a remake of the Wii game that I have because a few years back I really tried to clean up on the Kirby series both on the Wii and the 3DS for any games I didn't have never played this originally it's a you know 2D side scrolling Kirby game chronos correction corner here because the graphical aesthetic of this remake seems very um kind of cel-shaded almost and I don't know if that's what it was lo- it looked like on the Wii or not so right in the show get in the discord um, of course, I could just look up gameplay footage of the original Wii version. This is coming February 24th, 2023, and you know, a game like this, I feel like a remake of a game that came out less than 10 years ago, I'd love to pay like 40 bucks for this. Yeah, well,
1: I actually didn't realize it was a remake from the way they were presenting it. Like, I th- knowing that it's a remake, it seems kind of odd that um, they would be hyping it that far in advance and, you know. 40 bucks probably is right for something like that. But being Nintendo, Nintendo yeah, I don't know that, that you'll see it that cheap, at least
0: not initially. When I saw pre-orders go up and it was already fifty nine ninety oh, yeah. dollars $60 here, uh, which is no surprise. But again, I already have the game unplayed on Wii. The only reason I'd want to buy it on Switch is just for the convenience because I don't really have an HDMI cable adapter for my Wii, so right. I'd have to hook it up to like some kind of CRT type of deal.
1: Yeah, well, and I mean... I think the the weirdness with like remakes and things like that is, you know, where do you put it in the market? Because, you know, if the game costs $60 new when it was peak technology or, you know, whatever passes for peak ne- peak technology in Nintendo land. Um, how do you justify selling the same game with like some new skins on it for the same price 10 years later?
0: Oh, trust me. You don't have to twist their arm. They've been doing it for like 25 <laughs> years. Yeah. Uh, they just don't stop. And. I mean, I guess maybe we'll pause here before we get into deeper into this list here, because I feel like this is a great place to pause and have this conversation. I feel like the biggest theme coming away from this Nintendo Direct, outside of like 30 fucking farming simulation games, was ports, remasters. Again, we got stuff like Fire Emblem and Pikmin 4 to kind of um, recognize that Nintendo's building upon established franchises and they're not just remaking and remastering stuff. But we also at the tail end of this got, of course, the name for the new Zelda game. We'll get into that here shortly. But I just feel like the ports of some of these consoleized games looked very blurry. They looked like they were chugging frame rate wise. And if they're not chugging like that, we, of course, get cloud versions of stuff like Kingdom Hearts and, you know, Resident Evil 7 and, and Village and, you know, 2 and 3 remake and stuff like that. And. I think partially because they can't get the games to run natively on Nintendo, or they're just not wanting to put the effort in to do it, you know, and get games like Kingdom Hearts, you know, a 21-year-old PS2 game running on the Switch. That's a separate conversation for a separate day. But my question is, I'd be really surprised if they don't have a simultaneous release of a new Switch console alongside the new Zelda game.
1: Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, and... You know, we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into the uh, PlayStation side of things, but, yeah, you know, there just seemed like there was so much filler with the Nintendo stuff. You know, there were some really key announcements in there, uh, Zelda, um, some of the N64 stuff that's come into um, the expansion pass online. Uh, but really, it felt like they could have, you know, skimmed off 20 minutes or half an hour of that presentation and been just
0: fine. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I think that's going to be kind of the crux of the discussion is. uh PlayStation did a lot more with a lot less time
0: yeah yeah and I know too the PlayStation state of play again it's it's up to personal preference right in terms of what games are there what games are not there um but yeah I'm just very curious at this point like from a marketing perspective but also supply chain situation at what point can you comfortably announce a new Nintendo console and announce pre-orders and have enough supply to meet demand
1: yeah well I mean that's until the chip shortage is done. That's going to be a reality with it. But simultaneously, like everyone's been waiting for it for a while. And at what point after you've kind of kicked the ball down the field uh, so many times, does it just make more sense to not even do like a Switch Pro and start focusing on, you know, whatever the next iteration is going to be? Yeah, I mean, because I-, I mean, if we don't get a Switch Pro or like, you know, a next level version of it here soon, uh, you know, we're going to be pushing like eight to ten years not too far away now because we're already what five or six
0: years into the switch yeah 2017 is when it came out so i feel like six years in spring of next year or may of next year to release alongside breath of the wild 2 or the name it's called now would make sense six years out because i think spring like march time frame 2017 is when the switch originally came out yeah so i feel like that six year mark would make sense to iterate on it and When I say iterate, I mean performance, not just the OLED model and have a fancier screen.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that far into, like, that's when it's going to make the most sense. Start cleaning up on, you know, whatever remaining sales you're going to get out of this console generation of people who um, haven't bought it yet, you know, however many few people who wanted to switch who don't have it. Um, And then start kind of getting, you know, your victory lap of people who, already have it, but don't mind paying again to have like the next level experience.
0: Well, and that's a thing, right? Like that's, that's the MO of Nintendo and the same way that they're going to slap $60 price tag on a remake of a, a 10 year old Kirby Wii game, and it's going to sell 3 million copies. Switches are still selling like nobody's business. Oh
1: yeah. Well, cause that's what we talked about a little bit with, you know, how I got mine in the pandemic. You know, you could not find a switch for close to a year, mm-hmm. um, would sell out. Immediately, the same way, you know, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox uh, Series X were doing, and those were brand new consoles. Yeah. Um, Ooh, voice crack. There it is. It's getting tough in here. Um, Yeah, I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. But I guess in terms of, you know, if they do release a pro model. Um, rather than like a new standalone generation, do you think the new Zelda game becomes, uh, only playable on that console or will it be like a down-res version that's available across the generation?
0: They've been doing this for years. I mean, Twilight Princess came out on both the GameCube and the Wii, and then Breath of the Wild came out on both the Wii U and the Switch. So I really see this being a scenario where, um, there's like you know, they compromise performance just a little bit to run on the Switch, um, but it looks and runs a lot better on the Switch Pro or whatever theoretically would come out alongside the game.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got to have some sort of like meaningful upgrade. And and I mean, there's, there's no Nintendo first party game that's going to do that better than Zelda in terms of like if you're trying to sell a console on increased performance, it's,
0: you know, if you're not doing it with Zelda, you're certainly not doing it with Mario Kart. A thousand percent. And really what I see happening is, around february maybe january but i see it more being the february time frame nintendo does not a nintendo direct but like a gigantic nintendo type of conference thing where they hype up and reveal the next console switch pro and they also talk about like mario odyssey 2 or whatever the next big 3d mario game is and they really talk about the features and enhancements of this pro console that are gonna leverage the capabilities of it and make those games play that much better but also. I just see no scenario where the Mario Odyssey twos of the world or the Metroid Prime fours of the world that are probably being built for that next Nintendo console are not also going to be backwards compatible and playable on the original Switch.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that would definitely make sense with how Nintendo usually does that. But
0: there's just I too guess... much of a user base right now.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, you you don't want to do what they did with um, you're going from the Wii to the Wii U, where you build up. Uh, this really great user base. And then, you know, through what was, I don't want to call the Wii U like an iterative uh, console. It was I mean, it, it was like a 1.5 version of the Switch. Yeah. Yeah. So don't do that in the same way they did it last time, essentially. Yeah. But also like knowing Nintendo, like. I have a hard time believing that they're going to release a Switch Pro that is just purely a hardware spec bump. Um Knowing them, I think there's got to be some sort of a like, you know, what type of play is this going to enable that wasn't possible before? And they may need to reconcile that with, you know, what's the new thing you can do with a Switch Pro that you couldn't do with a Switch yeah. that makes it justified for Nintendo to pull the trigger? That's a great Because they'll point. happily sell you the same hardware for, you know, 30 years if they can.
0: That's a great point because Nintendo is kind of built upon innovation, especially, you know, dating back to like the Wii and then eventually the, D or the DS and then the Wii 3DS. You
1: know, think about like the Power Glove and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's not true. all of them were successful, but I mean, they've been doing this for Forever.
0: Yeah. And I feel like, just from a marketing standpoint, like you and my, myself, and obviously 99% of the people that listen to this podcast are going to go into a Best Buy or Amazon or whatever and know what they're looking for and know why they're buying the next iteration of the Switch. Then you have the moms and the pops and the grandmas of the world that, in the similar way, that like people didn't understand what Wii U was. Is this different than the Wii? They, nobody knew the difference between the Wii and the Wii U. And I feel like they have to, it's a difficult balancing act. And for Nintendo from a marketing perspective to understand like, this is why you need switch pro.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they've also got to make sure they're differentiating it in the lineup too. Like um, if that day actually does come where we get switch pro, like, does that also like, does does it make sense to have switch
0: Lite, the regular switch and switch pro all on the market at the same time? Uh, They did it with the DS. I mean, they had like, you know, the DS XL, the DS Lite, the DS original, the DS fat. I mean, there were so many iterations. So um, I think, Maybe the bigger question is, at what point in that timeline do, in a similar way, and this is going to get confusing, but this is Nintendo, when they came out with the new Nintendo 3DS XL, which had this weird little um, basically analog stick on the top right. It was more powerful than the normal 3DS XL, and at a certain point, they had games exclusive to the new Nintendo 3ds yes
1: yeah, so, so how far into the new switch lifespan do we get before we start seeing you know like switch
0: Lite support drop and they off. start gating the original switch owners and forcing people into that new ecosystem but i feel like by the time they do that playstation 6 and xbox series z are, are gonna be being
1: teased let's be clear like xbox will have some sort of weird new naming convention that no one can predict because
0: it's xbox and nothing ever makes sense in their naming conventions that's true um yeah i mean the question mark isn't is Nintendo still gonna have fun, exciting, state of the art games using their their flagship franchises? It's just that console question that's always just looming with yeah. them.
1: Well, and then um within that console question, you know, do we ever get a Switch exclusive Mario Kart?
0: That's a great question. Yeah. I mean like a Mario Kart Nine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you uh, the one that's available now is, what, 8 Deluxe, right? Uh, so it's got stuff that uh, the Wii U version
0: didn't have, but, I mean, it's not a fundamentally different game. It's not, but now that they announced all of the DLC packs and waves, I mean, I think we're getting 48 new tracks. And so I think what they'll eventually do a year or two down the line, or whenever all of that DLC is out and you can buy the season pass digitally you bet your bottom dollar. Nintendo is going to release Mario Kart eight ultimate.
1: Oh yeah. And it's going to have
0: all that DLC. It's going to sell 20 million copies. That's exactly what they're going to do. And then, uh,
1: then they'll be poised to, you know, roll out nine, which brings back, you know, the double dash functionality that everybody's gosh, been I hope so. For.
0: I hope so, man.
1: And then they can release all that DLC again. And the season passes for that.
0: Yeah. Trust me. This isn't their first song and dance. All right. <laughs> They've done this shit before. Um, Yeah. So interesting little sidebar conversation, getting back to the Nintendo direct announcements. We got one that I know my boy Ryan was super pumped about Octopath Traveler two. This is an RPG by square Enix, uh, a sequel to an RPG by square Enix stick into that 2d HD art style come in February 24th, 2023. It's also worth noting because they don't tend to do this in a Nintendo direct because why would they, um, steer attention away from themselves this is also coming to PS4 and PS5 and P- PC. Um, now, Octopath Travel, the first one, notably did not come to PlayStation consoles, but I believe is on Game Pass. Okay. Um, so if you're into those kind of isometric side scrolling 2D uh, platformers, Octopath 2 coming early next year. Uh, but it's worth noting that it's not also, or it's not just on Switch. Yeah, I missed that.
1: I, uh, I thought that it was still Switch exclusive all the way through. So.
0: I thought it was too until, you know, I saw people on Twitter posting links that you could pre-order it on PS4 and PS5. Okay. So, a notable thing there. Next up on my list, I'm super excited about this Final Fantasy, uh, Theatrhythm, 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 however you want to pronounce that. Final Bar Line. What a name by Square Enix. February 16th, 2023. This is, of course, a sequel, uh, or the third game in the Wonderful series that came out on 3DS, Final Fantasy Theatrism, where you just play songs from the Final Fantasy series. And they actually have like RPG mechanics where you have characters on the screen that you're using. On the 3DS, of course, you were using the stylus to click these little buttons to the tune and beat of Final Fantasy songs. And you also oftentimes had scenes from the Final Fantasy games playing in the background while you were listening playing out the Final Fantasy song.
1: Yes, I thought that looked pretty cool. Um, usually anything that is like very clearly like kind of a Guitar Hero clone, like I'm not interested in it at all. But them adding in, um, you know, gameplay footage or like actual RPG mechanics where you know, you're not just uh, hitting these buttons to hit buttons, they're actually giving you like a goal for what you're achieving with that. For sure. I think makes it a lot more playable for, for people who don't specialize in those types of games.
0: Absolutely. And um, if you can believe it, 385 songs from the final fantasy series will fit on that little tiny switch cart. And they're also going to have a season pass with 90 more songs from near Octopath traveler live alive, live, live, however you pronounce that. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they also dip into like the dragon quest series with some of that season pass stuff. So um, I'm super pumped for that. I'm not really sure how it's going to play on the switch, but also worth noting that this is coming to PlayStation as well. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't think I caught that uh, the season pass had stuff from other uh, games as well, but I was surprised to see that like the base game could have that many songs that are just from Final Fantasy. I didn't realize that like the catalog was that expansive.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. So um, really looking forward to that one again, February 16th. That'll be a probably a date one purchase for me um, just to play behind the scenes uh, throughout the year. You know, you're having a stressful day. Retreat to some Final Fantasy tunes. Can't beat it.
1: Well, and I think that's the other thing that makes it like really good for someone who's, um, you know, Final Fantasy person too. Is it's a low key way to kind of relive a lot of those experiences. Yes. Um. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to go through and commit to an actual playback through, but you can still get like highlights of of the games you really enjoyed. And I know that they mentioned like actually segmenting the songs by game too. So like, if there's a certain game that you want to go back and relive. Uh, they make it real easy for you to do
0: that. It's a great call-out. Yeah, I didn't even really think about it from that angle, but that's absolutely true. Very few people have the time to go back and replay every single Final Fantasy game. But getting the highlights, the scenes, playing out the songs, great way to do that conveniently. So, good stuff. Looking forward to that one. And then the next announcement, Sean. More N64 games coming to Switch. You kind of alluded to it, briefly mentioned it earlier. A um, couple good ones. I think we've got like the all three Mario Party games. We've got Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2. Pilot Wings, Excite Bite, Excite Byte 64. What's a little disappointed and head scratching about this announcement is that a lot of them aren't even coming until next year. Like yeah. I'm just questioning the level of effort to get these games running on Switch.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen what happens though when companies don't put the time in. Like we keep coming back to Grand Theft Auto a lot this episode, but like seeing how poorly those ports have done uh kind of illustrates, I think, that you do have to more effort into these than what a lot of people are giving credit for. That's true. Uh, that being said though I think the, this round of announcements once they're all out um, I think this will be the difference maker for a lot of people who are holding off on the season pass just because you know the initial batch of games like yeah, there are some good ones in there but it's not necessarily worth a subscription to have.
0: Who needs to replay Ocarina of Time really? I mean you have uh, so many other ways to play that. Of course the N64 original, the 3DS remake the uh, port or whatever the heck it was on the GameCube um. Yes, I get it. Lots of people want to go back and play Ocarina of Time. I know that's so many people's favorite games, but not many people have the opportunity to play the first three Mario Party games. Right.
1: And I think that's the that's the difference in this type of um, a subscription model is, you know, how many people are really looking to go back and replay those games all the way through? Like, I think most people who are fans of the series are going to be content to just watch a play, uh, playthrough video on YouTube or something like that. Whereas, like, I think the more casual, like, gamers who want to see, like, what the first few Mario parties are like, you know, it's it's kind of back to that, you know, are you looking to make a large investment of time in a playthrough or are you just looking for something you can pop in for a few minutes? And I think a lot of these uh, retro based games, you know, I'm not going back and playing all the way through the first Sonic the Hedgehog, but I'll go back a few times a year and play through the first few levels.
0: Exactly. Yep. Great point. You're bringing some great perspectives today, Sean. You're really earning your spot. I'm telling you. Uh, hopefully I passed the audition, Rusty. I still have to get to the head office and, you know, they probably are going to point out some things. When we do the playback and uh, we'll see if you make it to another episode. But okay. yes. things, signs are pointing we're, to we're yes. We're working for it. That's exactly right. Um, as part of the N64 games coming to Switch, though, there was thing, something worth highlighting. It was their one more thing. That's if right. I correctly. Goldeneye, online play, coming to Switch. Of course, developed by Rare. This is interesting because Rare is now owned by Microsoft An Xbox. So traditionally, you would think if there was going to be any kind of remaster or remake for GoldenEye, it would be exclusive to Xbox. That's not the case here. Not only are you getting the single player campaign experience coming to Switch as part of this N64 expansion pass online thing, but online play, let me repeat, online play with your friends is exclusive to the Switch. So while it's still coming to Xbox, the remaster of sorts 4k visuals you know up res, performance wise runs better you're not going to be able to play online on the xbox i have to wonder i've not read you know the fine print of this announcement but i have to believe that this is a timed exclusive this online stuff
1: i mean it almost has to be like you know Nintendo's not exactly known for the great online play like if you're launching online play for a game that never originally had it like Xbox is probably the best platform because I mean, it's the one everyone thinks of when they think of online play. Like they, yeah. they didn't originate the, the online play, but like everyone associates that with the original Xbox. For sure. Um, I would wonder if maybe there was something where, um, maybe Nintendo had like first writer refusal on anything with that because, you know, they didn't develop GoldenEye, but as the publisher, you know, I think everyone's aware that Nintendo's always looking to put in like, Caveats to contracts that kind of encourage or force developers to keep coming back. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe after seeing how some other franchises went for them in the 90s, maybe that was part of like their agreement with Rare is that like they get first writer refusal on stuff like that. And maybe that's just like an in perpetuity thing from like the original contract.
0: Yeah, it's tough to know. Um, I just, I'm holding out for my boy Grant Kirkhope. I hope he's getting royalties for the soundtrack that he composed. For GoldenEye, but um, maybe I'll hit him up on on Twitter and see if that's the case. But really looking forward to, I mean, online exclusive exclusivity rights aside, I'm looking forward to squatting up with some of the people in the community, playing some GoldenEye, and of course replaying the campaign, which I think is just classic at this point. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with this going forward. I feel like within six months, though, we're going to get online play on Xbox. Yeah, uh, and... I we talked a little bit about before uh, we started
1: recording too. like they really underserved that game with how they announced it too. like that should have been, I think, a much bigger part of the uh, the announcements than what it became. Like people have been waiting for GoldenEye for a while. Like, yeah, uh, there are a lot of uh, retro kind of rehash games that get released that no one cares about. But I would have thought this would have pulled a little more favor from them. Um, The other thing that I was curious to see if you've heard anything about um, is, you know, is this just a straight over similar to like how Mario 64 was, or uh, do you know if they're going back and actually working on like improving the mechanics and things like that too?
0: They are for the Xbox version for sure, because from rare's Twitter account, they kind of did a bullet by bullet point list of things that were going to change from the old to the new version. Um, I would consider this a remaster of sorts. Like they're definitely polishing up the graphics, 4k visuals, all that kind of stuff. How that translates to the Switch version, I feel like that, similar to these other N64 games, is going to be kind of a direct port. Although I did see some frame-by-frame comparisons of the N64 version of Wings running on N64 and running on the Switch as part of this expansion pack. And it looked like Pilot Wings was targeting like 60 frames per second. Like it looked okay. like more polished. Um, so I'm sure there's some degree of up-res there, but the significance of it compared to Xbox, I don't know.
1: Yeah. So I guess like what I think about with that kind of stuff too is you're not just from a graphics perspective, but from like a controls perspective, like Mm, as someone who didn't play a lot of uh, stuff on the 64, like going back and playing uh, Mario 64, um, the controls feel like super clunky for that game and like really finicky. And Mm -hmm. if you're not like super precise with everything, it's really hard to enjoy the game. Um, And I would hope that they take some steps to make it a little bit more accessible from that perspective too.
0: I'm sure they're going to remap the controls in a way where it feels at home on Switch. I feel like they have to. Um, But yeah, it's a good call out for sure. Um, That's really all I had and outside of, of course, The Legend of Zelda closing out the conference with a very brief trailer. We got a name. It's not Breath of the Wild 2. It's Tears of the Kingdom coming out May 12th, 2023. So uh, like we were saying, we didn't get any word about any kind of upgraded Switch. I feel like that's probably going to come more in the January-February time frame, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Did you have any other announcements, Sean, that you wanted to highlight? Um, the only other ones I had that I thought were neat, um, I'm not
1: familiar with like Raincode. This was the first time I had heard of it, but that oh. seemed like a pretty interesting game. Um, I was curious what you thought about Bayonetta 3, because I that's another franchise that I've got no experience with. Um, and the trailer for that was the most I've ever seen about it. And I thought it looked pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, Bayonetta is an interesting series, um, very over the top. I would even consider it almost a spiritual successor to the Devil May Cry games. Again, just super over the top, bombastic, crazy ass combat. Of course, the main protagonist, Bayonetta herself, is got like literally guns tied to her feet and all kinds of other nonsensical craziness that's going on on screen. I played through about half of the first Bayonetta on Xbox 360. excuse me i never finished it and i also never played the second game so similar to the pikmin series and fire emblem i have some homework to do okay but i'm definitely interested it looks like fun yeah um the only other one that i had
1: that um i was really excited about is that they're finally bringing the original life is strange games over to switch oh which has always shocked me because like those games feel like they would be very at home on that console yeah. Um. I know. Uh, I think it was True Colors was the one they came out with a couple years ago. That one launched on Switch, but the original few games are, I guess, just now coming.
0: So, have you, um, have you played the earlier Life is Strange games?
1: Uh, I've played the first one and really liked <coughs> it. Uh, I think that was when I played on uh, Game Pass, like right after I got my Xbox, and oh, was a yeah. pretty big fan of like the mechanics and uh, the story-driven format. So, mm-hmm. I will probably be picking that up on Switch when it comes out, um, replaying through those and and maybe working through some
0: of the ones that I haven't played too. Good stuff. If you're into that, did you ever play the um, The Walking Dead games by Telltale? No. You'd like those. Okay. Very emotionally moving, um, even if you don't have an invested interest in the comic or the TV show. Um, completely different story and really good. Okay.
1: Now, does it have like any of the like time mechanics or is it just more from a story perspective?
0: Uh, there is some kind of QT- QTE stuff. Um, the other interesting thing about The Walking Dead, similar to... Um, life is strange to a certain extent you have to make pretty significant decisions oftentimes like right in the moment of like this person's gonna live or that person's gonna live
1: okay and it actually like drastically changes the game
0: yeah i mean okay. the ending is the ending there is a choice at the ending that you have to make at least of the first season that i yeah. won't go into um but characters remember the decisions you make and bring that up later in the game to say hey like why'd you make that decision why'd you do that that was ridiculous like why i would have done that and you have to kind of deal with the consequences of that
1: yeah well and i've I've always really enjoyed games like that too where like um you know it enhances the replayability without necessarily like you know like we talked about earlier with skyrim like you don't necessarily have to have a whole new character you start with but you can go through it uh with different approaches so maybe your first playthrough is you know just kind of whatever you think is best at the time and then Mm -hmm. like maybe you replay it as like a really like um Chaotic, evil inspired character where you're you're picking those choices. And yeah, I always think those types of things are neat.
0: It is. And I think I've replayed the first season of The Walking Dead at least three times at this point. And each time I go through it, there's a decision or two that I I change. And what's cool is at the end of each like little episode, because it's split up into like five episodes for the whole first season one, whatever it is, um, it tells you how your decisions were different from other people. So it said, like, yeah. for this particular decision, you and 30% of everyone else that's played this game made this decision. Okay. So it's interesting interesting to see kind of where you land on those decisions.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have given those a chance <clears throat> without knowing that, but I might have to look into it now.
0: Yeah. Really good stuff. Uh heavy stuff. I mean there are no no walk in the park. They definitely pull on your heartstrings. Yeah, so
1: yeah, Walking Dead is not historically known for their uh, heavy emotional moments. Not at uh, all.
0: Not at all. Um well good stuff. That's pretty much the Nintendo Direct. Again, there was a crap ton of farming simulation games. Pretty disappointed. The same day ClapHands, hands who's known for developing one of my favorite series growing up the hot shots golf games on playstation um they closed that studio in japan but i think a fraction of that development team is still making games primarily for um mobile devices but they released a switch exclusive golf game again developed by clap hands it's called something weird like we golf and you should too or some bullshit like that um but it's on switch it's 20 bucks It looks exactly like the Hot Shots golf series. So don't sleep on that. Check it out. It might not be super great, um, but I'm certainly going to try and check it out.
1: Yeah. So a random completely off topic question um, about golf simulators. Do you ever play outlaw
0: golf? No. That, That was a
1: weird one. That um,
0: looked like the same kind of, like, I mean, there was Outlaw Volleyball, I think, and tennis. Yeah, I think that's the same franchise,
1: but essentially, like, it was a golf sim that, you know, you could pick up at Value City for $10 instead of spending $50 on Tiger Woods PGA. Um, But, like, it was you know, in that similar vein of, like, the aggressive kind of bro games that you'd get sometimes Um where, uh, I forget exactly how it worked, but, like, instead of, like, your power-ups making it so that you could... um like just hit the ball better or more powerfully or whatever Uh, your power-ups would let you beat up other characters or like your caddy or whatever and then the rage would let you play better
0: that's amazing and it's funny bringing that up because it reminds me of a story i remember going to gamestop one time and i picked up nfl blitz the league because i'd read about it in a game informer magazine or some gaming magazine and it was ridiculous the stuff that you could do in that game and i was probably the nfl blitz series is similar to um like nba street right well there's there's nfl street which is ea sports big and then there was like even a more mature version called blitz the league okay so i remember picking it up off the shelf taking it to the counter my mom was with me at the time again i'm like nine ten years old the game was rated m for mature and so the guy like looked at my mom was like are you sure you want to buy this game for your son and my mom was like well what's the worst that could happen like what what type of stuff do you do in the game and he's like, "Well." When you start to play poorly, you just inject yourself with performance enhancing drugs. (laughs) And then after the game, you can literally go to strip clubs. And my mom's like, absolutely not. He's getting Madden. So that was kind of a sad day for me.
1: Yeah, that's well, I mean, but you got Madden out of it. So that's pretty cool.
0: I did. Yeah, I got the more expensive title, I guess. But
1: it's the uh, whole um, old trope of, yeah, try out. The thing that, you know, the parents are going to say no to immediately to make the thing you really want seem a little bit
0: more uh, palatable. Something like that. Yeah. So I never got Blitz the League. Uh, and a similar vein that I never got Prince of Persia to the warrior within my mom always thought that that game just looked too dark. And to this day, I never played it. Only played the Sands of Time. So
1: I'm sure. She'll let you play Leisure Shoot
0: Larry though. Right. You know, I never asked for that game, but <laughs> I'm sure I think there was actually one on the PlayStation two. Um, I never tested the waters though. Okay. I never even tried to ask that for that one. Um, probably but smart. Probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's transition here to the PlayStation state of play. I only got three games that I want to briefly bring up here. Uh, I think we can call it an episode as we almost are reaching two hours here. They casually opened up the press conference and I feel like it's still not being talked about a whole lot with the eighth game in the mainline Tekken series, which for most people is probably like, nah, just another Tekken game, but I'm actually a really big fan of Tekken. Um, I remember when I first got my PlayStation two, I've told this story a number of times, but I got Crash Bandicoot, uh, Wrath of Cortex. I got Jack and Daxter Precursor Legacy, GTA 3. And my buddy down the street gave me his copy of Tekken Tag Tournament because before I got my PS2, I'd always played at his house. And Tekken Tag Tournament, I just loved um, so much. Just a fun fighting game and really the only, I would say, mainline fighting game series, you know, the Street Fighters of the World that I got into. Um so Tekken 8, I'm pretty pumped about.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a smart one to start off with. Um, because like you said, it's not one that um uh, you know, you're not giving away the the best secret first in that case, uh, but it is something everybody knows about and everyone knows to be excited. Like as someone who has never uh played any of the Tekken games, mostly just because I've never been in like the PlayStation world, um, even I know like, Oh, Hey, that's like something people are going to be excited about. Yeah. So it's, it's a good one where you can announce it, get some good vibes going early on, but you're not necessarily giving away your best stuff just yet.
0: Exactly. Yep. They continued to show a number of games that I'm not willing really to get into. There was one kind of Bayonetta, similar type of game that they showed that I was actually pretty interested in kind of action RPG heavy. Um, didn't even write down the title for that. What I was What really piqued my interest was the Neo developer, Team Ninja, announced an open world samurai game called Rise of the Ronin.
1: I was pretty interested in that one, too. It looked pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, very cinematic. Again, I feel like the next couple of years we're going to have kind of an overwhelming number of samurai type games. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sucker Punch is developing a Ghost of Tsushima 2. We've got Rise of the Ronin. And then we also, in the next couple of years, are going to get an Assassin's Creed game um, set in Feudal Japan. So uh, we're going to have no shortage of samurai type games, but this one seemed to kind of distinguish itself enough where it had some Dark Souls-y type combat similar to the Neo series, um, but that open world kind of style that looked more akin to a Ghost of Tsushima, that excites me.
1: Yeah, and I'm not familiar enough with that style to have like been able to articulate what was different about it but it definitely stood out to me amongst like there were what like three or four other samurai games that were uh packed right in with that one yeah i think they probably could have spaced those out a little bit better
0: probably yeah that's Um, very true
1: now what did you think of um like a dragon Ishin? because that was the one that uh was originally japan only that they're bringing
0: back right it could have been i mean this is kind of a spiritual i wouldn't even say successor but evolution of the yakuza series which i think is a spiritual successor to shenmue
1: yeah yeah because it's all um in that sega jrpg kind of realm and maybe that's part of what um made me excited about it too is seeing like sega having like some mainline stuff again
0: yeah and i mean speaking of homework to do and just backlog to hell on a series the yakuza games i really haven't gotten into any of them i have um, Zero and Kiwayami, I think, is like the remake of, of one and two, um, two separate games, but um, I have both of those on PlayStation 4. I just haven't played them. There's just so many Yakuza games, and I'd like to at least begin in chronological order and eventually maybe skip to um, Like a Dragon because that just seemed to be um, kind of a turning point for the series, both with how the game plays, but also I think the mainstream success it saw. Yeah. and this one, I think, is probably gonna do similarly just as well because of like the feudal Japan setting they're going for.
1: Yeah, well, and the other thing that I um thought was interesting about it too, uh, I could be mis I could have misunderstood when I was doing a little bit of digging on it because um, I did look into that one a little bit more. And from what it seemed like to me, like that's how those games have been marketed in Japan as long as the Yakuza series has been around. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, how they are marketing it in Japan has historically been different from how they're doing it here. Okay. And this is kind of like a way that they're maybe uniting uh, that marketing structure. So that rather than having like a dragon in Japan and Yakuza and uh, North America, maybe that's kind of coming under one umbrella, but I, I could have totally misunderstood that.
0: So. No, that that sounds about right. That's a good point. Um, Cause I did not read deep into really any of these announcements. It was more, um, watch the state of play took notes as I was watching, but uh, it's a good call out for sure. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least, I mean, the God of war Ragnarok trailer that they showed, uh, we were kind of baited a little bit because they were hyping up this God of war thing and they showed a controller, uh, like a special edition PlayStation five controller. And I'm like, wow, they're casually just going to end a PlayStation state of play with a controller announcement, uh, which would be a very PlayStation thing to do. I feel like, Uh, But they, of course, rolled right into a very cinematic three and a half minute God of War Ragnarok trailer coming November 9th. I'm glad this game uh, is not being delayed, at least to this point. And if you're not really familiar with the calendar and you're not looking at it right now, November 9th is actually a Wednesday. So I might casually like have to disappear from work for like a couple of days because with those type of games, you hope they come out like a Friday, right? Take Friday off.
1: Maybe do a long weekend. Yeah. Because, uh, well, November 9th, uh, you'll be able to butt that up with um, uh, Veterans Day, right? So you'll have a day off from work for that. Maybe just take a long weekend.
0: I might have to. I might have to. But but yeah, what an impressive um, showcase for this game. Not that we really needed to see anything more. We are already kind of know and expect what we're getting from Santa Monica after the 2018 God of War game. But... I'm curious from your perspective, Sean. You haven't played the first, but I'm sure you're familiar with the the beat em up style of the earlier God of War games. Oh, no, I don't know anything about God of War. Really?
1: Yeah. No, this, this, uh, the name for this podcast should be Sean doesn't know anything about any of these games.
0: Okay, cool. Well, but you've at least seen footage and I think know, um, kind of the reputation of those earlier games where you're kind of just beating the hell out of things. There's not, there's obviously a story going on, but it's not front and center in the focus of the experience. Versus this newer God of War that story is the focus. I'm curious, like, is this something that's up your alley?
1: Um, It could be. I think we've talked a little bit before about um, me potentially getting into some of the more, um, not like Viking, but more like Norse-inspired games just because those seem pretty interesting. Um, I'm assuming this would fall within that window as well. 100%. um, God of War is a PlayStation exclusive, right? It is. Okay. So yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to really commit to get into that one. Yeah. That's what you're trying to do to me, Rusty. You're trying to, to, to buy me in. I'm putting nuggets out there. You know what I'm <laughs>
0: saying? Just, just small little things, small um, little things. Yeah.
1: Um, If I was going to go down that rabbit hole, I'd probably give it a try.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm super pumped. I mean, again, I don't know what else to say. It was just very impressive. The best trailer that we've seen to this point of Ragnarok and November 9th. Can't come soon enough. Uh, But I'm curious where everyone else is at. I know we talked quite a bit about it. We actually had a really great back and forth in the Discord during both the Direct and the PlayStation State of Play uh, with where people are at with what was announced and kind of what wasn't announced too. Uh, But get in the Discord. If you're not there, again, click that link in the show notes. We're having great discussion. We also have a Fantasy League going with the Otaku Brothers. So we're talking about the NFL games every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, any day of the week when football is going on. We're talking about it. So if that's your thing, get in there on the Discord. It's always good times. But gosh, dang. Sean, thanks for joining me today. Happy to help
1: out where I can. Before we uh, get into the end of episode stuff, I did want to see what you thought about uh, the Hogwarts Legacy
0: trailer. So that's kind of in the same camp for me as God of War Ragnarok, where I almost less is more. Like, just the idea. All you had to frame up was open world Harry Potter game. Okay.
1: Yeah, because I haven't been keeping a very good track of that one. I've been excited about it since I heard about it, but that was the first time I've seen like actual gameplay trailer for it. Oh, OK. Um, so, yeah, maybe that was a little bigger deal to me just because I was uh, living under a rock on the other stuff.
0: Well, oh, if that was but, the first time, yeah, what did you think?
1: Um. So, you know, right now I think there's there's a little bit of um, a situation going on with J.K. Rowling. Oh, yeah. Uh, that you have to factor in. Uh, I might have to part with some of my money on that one, though. Yeah. Yeah, Um. especially because like, you know, this is going to fulfill something that kids have been wanting, since, you know, 1998 when the first book came out or 97 or whatever.
0: It's um, a dream. I mean, it's like going to Harry Potter world. I mean, that that, that series, both the books or the movies, whatever you kind of catered towards more as a kid or both experiencing that world. It was just, again, something we dreamed about. And yeah. to get that experience in person If you go down to Florida or, again, immersing yourself in a video game, which I think is even that much better.
1: Yeah, well, I think the other thing, too, is it's great for somebody like me. uh, You know, we've talked a little bit this episode about uh, wanting to get into, like, RPGs, but not knowing, like, quite where to jump in now that, you know, they've gotten so big. I think that's another potential entry point, too, is, you know. You might not understand the game mechanics or that kind of stuff, but you go in understanding the world. Yeah. Um, And that's a big help in terms of, like, you've got an idea of things you should be able to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if, uh, you know, you've never played anything uh, like Skyrim or Breath of the Wild or something and you jump in
0: uh, for the first time, like, you don't understand any of it. Yeah. Overwhelming. For sure. Um, Well, good stuff. Like I was saying, get in the Discord. Talk about it. I want to hear everyone's thoughts about all these crazy announcements. Some good, some bad, some kind of expected uh, but that's kind of what you get with these types of conferences. And once again, thank you so much, Sean, for joining Would you have fun today?
1: That's a good time. Yeah. yeah might you might have to come back and do it again. If I'm uh, asked back.
0: Yeah. Again, we'll, we'll send you a note in the mail. We'll email you directly. Um, we'll negotiate all that stuff behind the scenes. So no, no worries there. Uh, but thank you everyone so much for tuning in to the Otaki Builders podcast. As always, we have more episodes down the pipeline. Uh, Ryan will not be on the show for a little while. As I talked about at the very top of the show, Uh, But no worries there. Our boy's going to be back rambling about RuneScape, talking about Monster Hunter, his progress with his platinum trophies. Um, He'll be back, so fear not. Um, But Sean, I think it might be a good time to tease what's ahead. Yeah. So you kind of talked about being a Sega kid, growing up as a Sega kid. Um, You're a lot more knowledgeable and better to speak to your experience playing those types of games. And back when we released the Destiny Island Challenge For the Sega Genesis, you know, you were lighting me up talking about, um, you know, one, your love of the console, your nostalgic for the system, but also like, hey, if you guys ever do the Sega Dreamcast, I'd love to be a part of it. And so what better time? Sean's here. He's willing and able. Again, we have to talk to the people um, at the head of Otaku Brothers executive office of whether or not he's going to come back. But chances are pointing to yes. And in the next month and a half or so, I'll be sure to tease it on social media and in the Discord so everyone can get their top five list of Dreamcast games in. We're going back to that Destiny Island challenge soon enough. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's going to be a really great one. I've kind of been thinking about it um, for a while just because we've been talking about the possibility of doing that. Um, You know, we'll talk not just about the games, but also, you know, I think the downfall of Sega. And, you know, how do you get from the Genesis being such a smash hit Uh, console for them to, you know, being out of the hardware game uh, within like 10 years after, you know, the first Sonic game came out. Yeah. Well, not within 10 years, but within like 10 to 15. Something
0: like that. Yeah. So it should be really good stuff. I'm really excited about it. And then in addition to that, as I also mentioned at the top of the show in the next several months, I'm going to be kind of having a rotating kind of circle of guests on the podcast that I'm really excited about. I'm bringing on different Different people for very different types of topics that should make for some interesting and fun conversations for all of you wonderful people out there. But as we come to the tail end of every episode, I'm curious: Do you have any fun facts for listeners, Sean? Um, so I've
1: kind of been thinking as the episode went along, since you teased that I was gonna, I might get fielded this. Okay. Uh, and what I've come up with on, you know, the two hours notice or whatever, um, fun fact. The original woodstock in 1969 was pretty much as disastrous as uh, woodstock 99 which has been you know in the media a lot the last few years with you know the documentaries that have come out about it uh it's just you know the media has much more rose-tinged glasses for the original woodstock whereas um i think with woodstock 99 you get into uh the the older folks who Had the original Woodstock saying, oh, yeah, these kids don't don't know how to do anything. And you get that kind of old man yells at clouds effect. But when you actually look at how the events went, uh, Woodstock 99 was not substantially more of a disaster than the original Woodstock.
0: And when you say disastrous, do you mean like the drug use or what are we talking about here? Oh, are you not super familiar with that? Educate the good people. Uh, Yeah. So for those of you who don't know,
1: um, there are some really great documentaries on uh, HBO Max and uh, Netflix about Woodstock 99 uh disastrous music festival uh poorly planned um very profit motivated rather than experience motivated oh. um kind of like not as bad as uh fire in terms of uh you know they actually had the festival and it it went on um but there wasn't enough water all the food was overpriced and essentially um uh, it turned into rioting uh most of the um, air force base that they had it on like The vendor tents all got like ransacked and burned down. Wow. Uh, And it turned into kind of a Lord of the Flies situation.
0: No way. Okay. Well, Uh,
1: yeah. Check those out. Get some information. But just know in the back of your mind, like the the first Woodstock was not uh, as rosy as it's portrayed to be either.
0: Dang, man. All right. Well, interesting stuff. I'll have to double click into that myself. Uh, But fascinating stuff, folks. I mean, you have to stay for the tail end of the show because you get educated. This is an educational program and uh, we fade out the show with good tunes. All right. You can't beat it. So uh, everyone, thank you once again for tuning in to this podcast. My good friend, Sean, keep playing the great video games out there. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you real soon.
1: Thanks, everybody.